Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Uh, that I was right in the epicenter of, the baby boomers, 1968. Graham Nash urging everyone to come to Chicago, the Democratic National Convention, hosted by that crook, that thug, Mayor Daly of Chicago. And the anticipation that anointed for another run would be LBJ. He dropped out in the primary process. So, uh, Hubert Humphrey. The perfect liberal and progressive who was liberal and progressive no more because of his pro-war stance in Vietnam ended up taking the slings and the arrows of the organized left. It was organized by um, the Yipsters. Yes, Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, and hundreds of thousands of others who descended on Chicago, and oh, what a unbelievable Democratic National Convention it was. Smoke in the air of the convention center, uh, National Guardsmen battling demonstrators outside. It led to the uh, trial of the Chicago 8, and it was an era of infamy. We were told not to trust anybody over 30, and let me tell you something, I didn't trust anybody over 30. And a whole generation was inspired by this uh, fight-back mentality against the traditions that had existed. And I think maybe ever so slowly, it is starting to emerge now. We'll get, that, we'll get to that momentarily. Uh, I have launched a revolution here in the studios of WABC when I came back after losing to Eric Adams in the mayoral campaign five days later, John Katsimatidis, owner-operator of Red Apple Media, his wife Margot, and a great talk show host uh, in his own right with the uh, various uh, versions of the Cats Roundtable, announced that he was uh, hiring me to a 30-year no-cut contract, which would mean I could, if I could survive bullets and bats and sticks and, uh, more importantly, yellow taxis hitting me. Uh, I could broadcast here conceivably until I'm 96 years old. And I appreciated that. And he said, in the interim, please take over the weekends. Uh, from late Friday uh, to uh, early morning, it's almost all Sliwa all the time. And ever since, uh, there have been acts of sabotage that have been uh, committed against my many broadcasts. 
So today, I settle all scores. Earlier in the day, you may have heard, you should have heard, as I was on a nationally syndicated show. Yes, uh, Red Apple Media uh, is now also a syndicator and has syndicated left versus the right, Curtis Lewa versus Chris Hahn. And uh, I was supposed to do the introduction, and I was on delay for five minutes because some freaking board operator who was pleasurizing himself instead of focusing on the program was like, oh, gee, golly. Hey, go back to Iowa. Oh, I can't say go back to Iowa. That's what Eric Adams says. Uh, He calls them crackers. I I can't say that. Whatever. Go back to where you're from. Well, we're not tolerating that here. So we have a show from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. in the morning, and the most uh, important hour is the 12 midnight hour, most requested, most listened to when you follow the stream and the ratings of all the hours that I do because it's the Animal Welfare Hour featuring my wife, Nancy, who does animal rescues. We discuss all kinds of animal issues, and we will tonight. But we got three hours to get through before... The Animal Welfare Hour, and then I have to pass off the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to uh, the Mameluke, uh, the Mongoluch, uh, Frank Morano, as he does uh, all the weekday, other sides of midnight from 1 to 5 in the morning. Five mornings. That's a total of 20 hours. And then I'm back to do it all over again. So we are settling all scores tonight. We are not putting up with JV behavior. So, Izzy, I'm putting you on notice as our board operator and you, Ryan, as our phone screener. You better be ready for prime time because I've been doing this for 31 years. And I'm not going backwards. I'm going forwards. John Katzmatidis has assembled an impressive array of programs that go beyond just radio. We also do WABCradio.tv. It's going to be a network. There's all kinds of streaming that we do with social networking. Uh, John Katsimatidis soon, as owner-operator, will be king of all media. There's no doubt about it at the rate he's going. Uh, but you are not going to be sabotaging my efforts. Phone situations, you name it, they always come up with excuses, maybe coulda, woulda, shoulda. Hey, hipsters and millennials, baby boomers, we don't deal with that. Uh, there are no excuses. You fail? Guess what? Ufa to you. You will see what fate befalls you. So let's plunge forward because it's time, whereas I take it out of you hipster and millennials, just like Frank Morano, I think he's a hipster millennial. Nobody seems to know his age. My wife, Nancy, I think she's a hipster or millennial. Nobody seems to know her age. Uh, but I also give it. I take it from your generation But I give it. I want to play for you what is the Chicago anthem of Graham Nash, which he did in 1968. And it's the first shot of what I see many shots being fired across our great patriotic landscape of America. From Washington State to Florida, from California to Maine, and all throughout the heartland of America. I want you to listen to this young man as he stands up very much like the Tea Party in Boston Harbor, where the Sons of Liberty said, enough is enough, the oppression of the British Empire will no longer suppress our rights. And we ain't paying those freaking taxes. That's really what that was all about. And even though one-third of the uh, colony residents 
were in favor of revolution. The other two-thirds wanted to maintain the Union Jack. They'd still have us bowing and curtsying to Queen Elizabeth, who just celebrated her 70th year in power. The biggest welfare cheat in the world with the rest of those royals. Hey, how's Prince uh, Perv Andrew doing, huh? But the point being is, thankfully, the one-third prevailed. And they were told in the beginning, no, you're too small, you're going to be crushed, you can't deal against the Redcoats, the most impressive army and navy in the world. Uh, The king will crush you like cockroaches. And many of you students of history know that it was very bleak and very dire, not just uh, at certain increments of the war, but throughout the war. Throughout the war, not not just Valley Forge and some of those elements that you remember from your history teaching. You see, we baby boomers, we were taught history in school. Unfortunately, the hipsters and millennials are not. But I want to salute this unknown student who stood up in a gymnasium in Washington State and said, enough is enough, we're taking these freaking masks off. We're all walking into the school with no mask on. You can get me in trouble. They can suspend me. I don't care. We're done with this. And obviously all of you are, too. We want this to be a peaceful, respectful movement. We are just trying to gain back our rights as citizens. If a staff member asks you to put a mask on, you say no, thank you, and keep walking. And if they kick you out, then go home. I want to know who that uh, brave young man is because immediately the state of Washington, the capital in Olympia. Yeah, yeah, I know my geography threaten death and destruction against this young man and anyone who participated with him in a no mass, no mass, no mass day. And they said, we are going to make sure that the mask on policy is observed or you will be excommunicated. You will be exiled. You will be persona non grata. You will be expelled from school. All three E's notice. What do you make of this young man? Because I see around the country there is a sea of other young men and women who have put down their TikTok, who have put down their social networking of determining, uh, you know, who's doing what to who, what gender they are, because they're all in transition. They don't know what gender they are. You know, they're non-binary. That's uh, that's the hallmark of this new generation. And have decided whether you're gay or straight, whether you're non-binary, transgender, it doesn't matter. They're taking their freaking diapers off their face. They're taking their masks off their face. They're, they're better than the adults. How many of you have been like sheep? Government says put the masks on. Oh, you put the masks on. And now increasingly more and more we're getting the information that you kind of all knew all along. That A, number one, COVID lockdowns had little to no effect on the mortality rate. According to John Hopkins Institute, lockdowns didn't work. And especially here in New York and New Jersey. Ooh, we don't want the Governor Murphy calling us knuckleheads. Oh, we will capitulate. We will bow. We will bend. We will, oh, please, please, put another mask on me. Turn me into a sphinx. Wrap me up so I, I can't even breathe. I can't breathe. I'm going to die. I got to depend on my nose. It's okay. But I'm following the executive orders. You can remember, Andrew, evil Cuomo, the wrath of God be upon you, executive order after executive order, 
PowerPoint presentation every day. He won an Emmy. He was on his way. He was being anointed as St. Andrew Cuomo, the future president of the United States. He crashed and burned. And like Napoleon, he's on his island of Elba right now. Well, not really Elba. Southampton and the compound. Other Cuomo's. Fredo's house. Oh, yeah. They're going after all friends and foes. Look at it. You got Fredo out there, Chris Cuomo. You got Andrew Evilize Cuomo. You got Joe Pacoco, who is the leg breaker, the wartime consigliere of Andrew Cuomo. And before that, Mario Cuomo. He just got out of federal prison. They welcomed him home. They had the party, you know, the cannolis. They were handed out the cannolis and saying, we will seek revenge. Let's hit the mattresses, stir the marinara sauce. They took out Mr. CNN himself who had been a friend of the Cuomo's, the Cuomo Network. Remember the Cuomo Network? It was all Cuomo all the time. Doesn't matter. They came after friends. And guess what, my little pretty out there? Attorney General Tish James, you thought that nobody would challenge you. Okay, you went after Holcomb. You said you would challenge her in a Democratic primary. It just wasn't in the cards. And now you figured the moment that you got back into the Democratic primary as attorney general that, hey, you know, it would be a straight field. No challenges from Democrats. And I don't even know which Republicans are running, right? Now I'm a Republican, right? Obviously, slam dunk. Stop. If you've been listening to Curtis Leo, because I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them. What have I been telling you for the last two months? Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo, with his $16 million political war chest, is settling all scores. He did so with his friend of all friends, the CEO of uh, CNN, the Cuomo News Network, who is no more. Gone. And yet the girlfriend survived because she had been a key apparatchik and key consultant conciliary when it came to public relations to Andrew. That's right, before she hooked up with Mr. CNN. See, I'm, you can't even say his name anymore. It's like talking about the super, uh, that's right, I can't say that. I have to call it the game, right, the game. How stupid is that? We're going to be talking about censorship later on with Joe Rogan, who is in big, big trouble. You can say almost anything, Joe, but when you're... When you're a Huckleberry white boy, you're a Caucasian persuasion, you're a snow bro, you get no immunity when you drop the N-word. Not once, not twice, but maybe a hundred times. Who knew? Who knew with all his broadcasts? We're just now finding this out. Oh, so much to discuss. But yes, Andrew Evilized Cuomo is going to challenge Tish James in the Democratic primary. And he's got a big lead in money raising. Tish does not raise money very well. I got to be perfectly honest. And what do you think that sit down with Eric Adams was the other day at that restaurant on West 52nd Street in the heart of the theater district? Not on the down low, in public, letting everybody see he's back. Eric Adams has anointed him and said, oh, damn right, I'm going to sit down with Andrew Cuomo. He's like J. Edgar Hoover. He, he's, got a, he's got a black book on everybody, friends and foes. He basically told Eric, hey, look, come on. This is what Joe Pococo knows about you, okay, guy? Hey, this is like hush, hush, much, much, but you're going to sit this one out. When I announce for the Democratic primary, I don't expect you to support me. That would be too obvious, right, against Titch James. Too obvious. You're going to be like Switzerland. You got me? Kabish, Kabish. And Eric Adams would say, oh, yeah, I, I Kabish. 
You're going to be neutral. And watch. That's what Eric Adams is going to be. And Andrew Evilize Cuomo is going to declare to become the attorney general of the state of New York, which he served already and took out Elliot Spitzer and took out David Patterson. Took them both out as attorney general. And he lusts for revenge. I told you. I mean, no, he's too damaged. Can't happen. You got to know the Cuomo's. You got to be a street warrior. They never die. I mean, he could be dead, right? Technically, he could be dead. You know, they hook him up to the machine. He goes, and even then, you begin to wonder, will he be resurrected? Will they figure out a way to dig him out of the grave so he can come back and haunt people in his death? But we, we want to put all of that aside, because a lot of information I'm going to give you in tonight's program, as long as these phones are working. Got that, Izzy? Got that, Ryan? No Sabatucci. Or who? There'll be a hell of a price to pay. Right now, you're the JV. Let's see if you can make the Varsity Squad here at WABC, the number one news talk station in the nation. So let's test out these phones that have had uh, problems from time to time. Reminds me of that scene in The Godfather, remember, when Michael Corleone went to pay tribute to Batista, the dictator. Uh, it was right before the New Year's uh, celebration, and all the corporate uh, 500 entities were uh, paying tribute to Batista. Remember AT&T? AT&T brought the all-gold phone and said, Batista, this is our tribute to all-gold. Do I have to get a gold phone to make sure the lines are working here? All gold from AT&T. Well, what kind of phone service are we using here? Is it one of those Soviet uh, services, you know, uh, like you drive around in a Lada instead of driving around in a Mercury Marquee and you use a old Soviet phone system? Hopefully it's not copper wires. You know, copper wires do not last in perpetuity. Hopefully it is state of the art. We will find out. So, ladies and gentlemen, feel free to call. We are going to test out Izzy and Ryan right here to see if they're JV or if they're in the varsity. And then I'm going to go about doing things that I rarely, if ever, do. Praise these young huckleberries out there throughout the United States, this new generation. They're younger than even the hipsters and millennials because they are showing chutzpah. They're showing webbles. They're showing culions. They're standing up, and they're taking their masks off, and they're saying, you know something? Expel me. Excommunicate me. We don't care. We are Americans. We're no longer wearing masks. There is no science to this. There is no analytics. You bamboozled our parents. You bamboozled our grandparents who are probably going to end up soon in a long-term senior health care unit wearing Depends below their navel and keeping Depends on their mouth, wearing those stupid masks. Well, you're not doing that to us. God bless this new generation. I don't know if they're Generation Z, B, X, Y, Z, whatever they call themselves. But they're showing that they're going to stand up. Sort of reminds me what I went through. Well, maybe I could give him a little advice, except I ended up uh, looking on the outside, looking in. I got kicked out of school. <laughs> Quite a story. Over the dress code policy imposed by the Jesuits, part of their tradition. No, I didn't go to Regis like Fauci, the Brainiac. They didn't have a football team. That's no real school. I didn't go to Xavier on 14th Street. 
All right, the uh, former Supreme Court justice, no longer with us, died while quail hunting in Texas. You believe that nonsense? Get out of here. Uh, I didn't go to Fordham Prep. I went to Brooklyn Prep, which was closed in 1972. And by the way, it was the same year that I was kicked out as student government president, kicked to the curb, told by the Jesuits they were shining their boots on my backside, and I never looked back. And it was over the dress code policy. I'm going to go through all of that, but first... Let's check out this uh, phone line technology. This is sort of like uh, American Bandstand. Pick it or pan it. Uh, We're going to either pick it, uh, you, Izzy and Ryan, or we're going to pan you until we get prime time tactical air support here at the number one news talk station in the nation. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Biggest political events ever in the history of people running for office. It was August of this uh, past year, uh, 2021. And I was in the streets of a hot, sweltering New York City. There were hundreds and hundreds of people who had assembled of all different walks of life. Uh, With the help of Todd Shapiro, who has a public relations agency, and Vito Bruno, Mr. Vino Bruno, who's run so many clubs. He is Mr. Connected to Everything. They reached out to the Tramps in Philadelphia, right from Disco Inferno, Saturday Night Fleet, all of them still alive. They transported them into New York City. And it was right at the time that then Mayor de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, said, if you get your, your injection, you don't have to wear a mask. Remember? Remember what he originally promised? If you get your injection, you don't have to wear a mask. And then all of a sudden, we fired up the music. We were out in the streets, and we did a mask burning. You had to show us, though, that you had been uh, inoculated, immunized, that you had received your vaccine. And then we burned those masks. We called it the fall equinox. Hundreds and hundreds of people dancing out in the streets because we thought it was no mask, no mask, no mask. And then I saw some of my fellow baby boomers. They were out in the street. They were doing the hustle, the Patty Duke, the bump. Not the grind. In disco fashion. And I was burning the masks, and we couldn't get some of the masks. They were plastic to burn, and obviously I didn't want to be guilty of uh, depleting the ozone uh, layer. Uh, so I tried to torch him, and I ended up torching my hand. It was on television, and naturally I had to 
I'd be tough. Meantime, my skin is falling off, right? I should be in the ER, the ICU. Uh, the FDNY, which was positioned right there. Hey, man, you got some really nasty third-degree burns. No problem. We finished our mask burning, and we thought that was it. First, we start with the adults. We would get rid of the masks as long as you were vaccinated. And then the uh, trickle-down theory, uh, teenagers, youngsters, and the masks would be gone. Unless you wanted to wear masks. Unless you, uh, you had immunities that made you more subject to catching this virus, even with the vaccine. Who knew at that time we were sworn if you had the vaccine, you could not get COVID-19. Remember that? As long as you- they bamboozled us. They lied to us, which is what officials still come on. Remember, they told us, oh, put that cloth mask on. Uh, it'll protect others from getting your COVID-19. Remember, they said, you're not doing it to prevent it from. Now we find out cloth masks don't work. It's got to be an N95. And you say, but wait a second, there's so many fake Fagazi N95 masks out there. You, you can find them on any col- uh, any corner. All of them made in Pakistan, so you know right away, Karachi, oh, that's a knockoff. They're everywhere. Oh, yeah, and every five days you got to throw it out. Throw it out. How the hell are poor Ninja Chimpy? Don't worry about it. Do what Dr. Fauci tells you, my little pretty, or you will die. And now we realize the COVID lockdown had little, no effect on mortality. This mass thing is total hokum, just like the governor. You know what hokum means? Nonsense. That's a new name. And students are beginning to repel. Students. Eric Adams has said, you don't wear a mask, kids. That's it. You're going into solitary confinement. Oh, that's right. We don't have solitary confinement. Don't worry. We'll figure out what to do with you. But there will be ramifications. Can I hear the war cry? This is almost like... Bunker Hill. This is almost like Lexington in Concord for a new generation. We're all walking into the school with no mask on. You can get me in trouble. They can suspend me. I don't care. We're done with this. And obviously all of you are too. We want this to be a peaceful, respectful movement. We are just trying to gain back our rights as citizens. If a staff member asks you to put a mask on, you say no thank you and keep walking. And if they kick you out, then go home. That's an American. That's somebody who understands the history of America. And that's Washington State. You couldn't be more liberal and progressive than Washington State. But let me salute in our own backyard. There's nobody in the five boroughs has done it. Not even in Staten Island, which rebels to everything, right? You know, Max is there. You can't tell us what to do. Send away your jet, your jack-booted sheriffs. We're going to open up our restaurants and bars. We're not wearing masks. And we're not following this Vax passport routine. Now, Staten Island, when it comes to that, first and foremost, but not the kids. They folded like cheap cameras. We have to look to uh, Long Island for this. Mostly Suffolk. Some of Nassau. Let me give a shout out to the brand new Nassau County executive, Bruce Blakeman, who defied, defied Kathy Holcomb and said, no, we're not wearing masks. And so kids in Riverhead and West Islip were sent home or isolated from other students over their refusal to wear face coverings. They were put in solitary confinement. The principals, the assistant principals, the dean said, we can't let this spread. 
All the kids may be taking their masks off. They may storm the Bastille. This will be like Les Miserables to the barricades. We must put them in solitary confinement. They wouldn't let them walk around. They wouldn't let their fellow peers talk to them. Students in Cold Springs Harbor, a very wealthy community, I might add, held a walkout. But the majority of Long Island students continue to follow the state's indoor mask mandate. But there's hope. Like our revolution, when only one-third of those living in the colonies were for the revolution, the other two-thirds would still be kissing the Turkish and curtsying to the queen. And it would be the Union Jack that would be flying over America and not the red, white, and blue. Let me just salute these young folks. Although there are problems out there, let me tell you a problem. Connecticut, Connecticut, all the schools out there in Long Island named after Indian tribes, Connecticut. I think that's not far from where my wife uh, went to uh, high school. She lived in Bohemia. Apparently, a school psychologist has ratted out young people there. She said, I know which little whippersnappers have taken their masks off. I have photographs. I have video. We need to reimpose this state indoor mask mandate before things lead to anarchy. Sort of reminds me of that figure in Les Miserables, you know, the guy who says, I'll get you, little, you, you young people. You're going to go to the barricades? We'll shoot you down. Yeah, there's a rat out there in Connecticut, or whatever the hell you call that place. But the students are holding strong. I want to salute those students. Ladies and gentlemen, why are we adults not following suit? Why is it our children are leading our teenagers and we are feckle? We are sheep. We are weak. <laughs> Waiting for Dr. Fauci to let me know I can take my depends off my face. <laughs> we hear Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, junior senator, I might add. He's into smoking ropes of dope while McConnell is <gasps> into drinking bourbon. That's the generational divide there. Uh, love those battles, right? Rand Paul versus Dr. Fauci. Fauci has basically gone, no mas, no mas. It's none of your business if I'm making money or not. Oh, really? Hmm. You don't want to answer questions. And Long Island schools are facing an uncertain return to required mass as they're being played like a yo-yo. And I stand with the students in Long Island. I'm ashamed to say I don't see that happening in the five boroughs. Not even in Staten Island, you would think, wow, the sons and daughters of the restaurateurs, uh, those uh, who uh, have the bars, who have stood up to de Blasio and Cuomo at that time and now stood up to Adams and Hokum, would be standing up. But why is it they're not? What is it about these young people that prevents them from doing what other young people are doing? Can I hear that young man again? I mean, this is a clarion voice. This is the call. The battle that needs to be waged, and unfortunately, it won't be by baby boomers. It won't be by adults because we folded like cheap cameras. We're all walking into the school with no mask on. You can get me in trouble. They can suspend me. I don't care. We're done with this. And obviously, all of you are, too. We want this to be a peaceful, respectful movement. We are just trying to gain back our rights as citizens. If a staff member asks you to put a mask on... You say no thank you and keep walking. And if they kick you out, then go home. 
Bravo, bravo, fortissimo. And I hope that's replicated all over the nation in little villages, little boroughs, little house in the prairie. Remember there was a little red schoolhouse in which all the kids of different ages went to, even the little red schoolhouse, to massive schools of thousands. Take your masks off. There is no science there. This lockdown is bogus. It's ridiculous. We have become the sheep. We can't. We 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 are told, oh, you're a no-vaxxer, huh? You're a no-vaxxer. No. How about no mask? Oh, you're no-vaxxer, huh? Hey, you might be part of January 6th. Maybe we got to put sharpshooters up on the roofs of your buildings. If you walk out, you might be joining the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers. Well, God forbid you put on a MAGA hat. That could be next. Oh, I wouldn't put it past them. I would. Did you see the demonstration in Washington uh, two weekends ago? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Not my cup of tea, uh, but he assembled an eclectic group of people who were protesting the mandates, and they had sharpshooters up on the buildings, thinking that they were going to launch a January sixth takeover of the government. That was a double disgraziata. That was a shanda. And let me show you two different mask-wearing mayors. There was the week, the feckless one, Garcetti, who has lost control of Los Angeles, by the way, the city of angels. Uh, he was in the booth there, you know, 49ers versus the Rams, uh, trying to figure out which of the two would go to the Super Bowl. We know it's the Rams versus the Natty Boys. And uh, they were taking uh, selfies. Garcetti was there. He was standing next to Magic Johnson, right? And he got caught, no mask on, right? Caught for the whole world. And what did he say? I held my breath. I held my breath three seconds. I couldn't be infected with COVID-19, right, Dr. Fauci? I'm a good boy. Really, please don't exile me. Don't put me in the gulag. How ridiculous. And kids look at that and they laugh, right? You talk about You should see what's on TikTok. I know. You should go to my TikTok post. Fake, phony, fraudulent forgazies. But there's a man's man who took his mask off. Let me salute him now. You haven't seen this yet, ladies and gentlemen. But he broadcasts each and every Monday through Friday from 3 to 4. And you can catch him on Sunday on the rebound, 10 to 11. Mike Umbaricic, Rudy Giuliani. He stood on an international stage. They didn't know who Rudy was. He was singing Pagliacci. Nobody knew. He had his mask on. He was featured in The mask Singer. Nick Cannon. How many kids does he have now? Nine, ten, eleven? This guy, does he believe in birth control? You know, how about a vasectomy, Nick? Uh, Nick is the host, right? Nick, who, who's that? Who's that person, The mask Singer? And, and all of a sudden, Rudy revealed himself. He took his mask off, and he said, Death to the mask! And what happened on the stage? The Trendoids, the Freakazoids, two of them, the judges, they stormed off. Robin Thicke. Well, the last time we saw Robin Thicke, uh, what is he, doing the Caterpillar with uh, Miley Cyrus or whatever you call that? Rudy, Rudy, unmasked. Rudy led, and all of us must follow, the masked singer Rudy Giuliani, who took his mask off, and two of the judges 
just couldn't deal with it. Now, Jenny McCarthy stayed in another. Look, they had, had Sarah Palin, Bobby Brown, uh, Total Meth Head. No, they didn't walk out, but they walked out on Rudy. See, this is a stream of consciousness. Can anybody else mix up all of these stories and weave them? Some of you would say it's indecipherable. Others would say, wow, it's spot on. Well, now is your time to call in. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Edward, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Edward. Good evening, Curtis. I'm a Fordham Prep graduate. I didn't uh, didn't know you were a Jesuit. Yeah, no, I was. I was. Let's make that very clear. I was. I'm not a sickle fantodian lackey of them. They kicked me out, and I never looked back, Edward. (laughs) They're good educators, but I know they're a little crazy. I got a question for you, Curtis. How do you feel about these street canopies that the restaurants in Manhattan have outside in the street now to keep their uh, livelihoods open after the last two years of misery? You mean the Quonset huts that if you landed a 747 on Columbus Avenue, you could actually park it in one of those Quonset huts, right? <laughs> I got I got to I got to chase out young kids smoking weed all day out of mine, but <laughs> I, I I need it, man. I wish I, a lot of these restaurants I think need it. Well, look, look, this would be what. And unfortunately, people did not choose me as mayor. Just like with bike lanes, just like with outdoor canopies for restaurants, if you use it, you keep it. If you don't use it and it's empty, you lose it. Brilliant. Sounds like some common sense. Yeah, well, that's what this... You'll never make it. That's why you're not mayor. you got too much common sense. I mean, Edward, I was in Chinatown earlier today. Uh, because, you know, it's part of the Lunar New Year, and we have Guardian Angel patrols there to stop the Asian attacks. By the way, 368% increase in attacks on Asians. And half the outdoor canopies are empty. They're graffitied. Homeless people are living in them. People are shooting up. You know, you have the intravenous shoot-up centers in Harlem indoors and in Washington Heights. You have them in these street canopies. All you have to do is watch, send an inspector, and you give them the orders. You say, look. If they're using the canopy a reasonable amount of time, they should be relicensed to have a canopy. But if they are using it as a storage bin or it's a new homeless shelter, uh, whatever it is, then it's got to be taken down. And you can take those things down within minutes. I agree. I think that they should definitely have some kind of rules. I don't like when you have like three or four of them butted up against each other and you can't cross the street. That doesn't make any sense. But well, you know, they I had, uh, that- Edward, they had a demonstration in uh, Washington Square Park against the canopies. About 100 residents showed up. City council is going to push through the socialists, are going to push through. They want permanent canopies. You know why they want canopies. They don't care if they're not used. They want to deprive people who drive of parking spaces. They want to deprive merchants an opportunity where the trucks that come in with the retail or the wholesale products, they will not have a place to be able to uh, uh, take those products and put them in the store or put them in the basement. In fact, what it will lead to is double and triple parking, massive number of fines, and it will squeeze retail and wholesale even more. So the Curtis Lee philosophy when it comes to bike lanes, 
and restaurant canopies outdoors is if you use it, you keep it. If you don't use it, you lose it. And even though you'll be protesting, I would say tough nuggies. You know what that means? Tough nuggies. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tom in AOC All Out Crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez land. Astoria, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Hey, Curtis. I uh, just wanted to say big fan. Um, I remember you from years ago uh, bumping into you on the platforms when I worked for the city in a different capacity and always supported you. And just wanted to let you know you said you were stream of consciousness and maybe people can't hold on. But I got to tell you, I'm with you every step of the way. You hit everything spot on. You're the voice of reason. I love listening to you. Thank you. Tom, this is this makes so much sense. We're forcing our children and young adults to wear masks and nothing suggests that masks work. We've been bamboozled for two years. And supposedly, if you didn't have the N95 mask, it was all a waste. It was a placebo. I don't get it either. I'm double vaxxed. I'm boosted. I wear the mask. I've been living like a monk. But you know what? Um, I agree with everything you say. And it's it's common sense. And I don't know why it, there's not more people out there that have your point of view and that we're not going in this other direction. You it know, you know, I knew when we were being subjected to trickology and getting bamboozled, Tom. Uh, <laughs> I love when you say that. <laughs> right. Dr. Fauci was on some young hip happening podcast, you know, where people were so cool. They're smoking their tie sticks. He didn't even know what the hell it was. <laughs> And they said to him, Dr. Fauci, you know, we got these apps, these dating apps, these hookup apps. You know, we don't even know the other people. Uh, but if we like this social networking profile, you know, we have the urge to merge. We have anonymous sex. Now, you would think Fauci would have had a heart attack just thinking about that, right? So he tells, you would think. He tells them, he goes, oh, you don't need masks. You don't even need protection of any type. Just go ahead, fornicate and copulate with strangers, people you don't even know. But as soon as you finish, right, other than if you need to take a quick smoke of a cigarette, then put your mask back on. Can you believe this? It's outrageous. You're right. I mean, how crazy is this? So one of these young people in a podcast, I'm going to clean up the language. Um, She said, well, what happens if I'm orally fixating my boyfriend? That I just discovered, you know, he's a friend with benefits, uh, FWB. I like this, a friend with benefits. You just met him. You say he's a friend, right? You don't even know this person. They could be America's most wanted, right, a serial killer. All of a sudden, she's orally fixating him. No mask, right? That would be kind of difficult to do. And Fauci, because he knows nothing about this, but he went to Regis, you know. He's, he's a scholar. He said, oh, that's okay. As soon as you finish that, then just put your mask back on. I'm like, are you for real, pal? Are you for real? But he's hip. The only thing he's happy. The only thing I can say in conclusion, and I'll let you go, Curtis, I, I thank you for taking my call, is that I, I cannot believe that people are still following this protocol and that there isn't like this, uh, this young fellow in Washington State that's, you know, standing up. I, it, it just, I, I don't understand it. But again, Tom, I'm Tom, following you're, you're, orders. You're how old? You're how old, Tom? I'm 63. Okay. I'm in Astoria. I'm, and I'm I, 67. You know, uh, I want us, all of us, because we're mostly baby boomers listening here, I want us to listen again 
that this young man, who I believe is 16 years old in the state of Washington, hopelessly liberal and progressive, home of Antifa, I might add. Remember, Seattle, Washington, CHOP. Listen to what he had to say. We're all walking into the school with no mask on. You can get me in trouble. They can suspend me. I don't care. We're done with this. And obviously all of you are, too. We want this to be a peaceful, respectful movement. We are just trying to gain back our rights as citizens. If a staff member asks you to put a mask on, you say no thank you and keep walking. And if they kick you out, then go home. Bravo, 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 bravo. fortissimo. <laughs> and you see, imagine you're right there where Antifa is, in total anarchy, Seattle where they, 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 they burned down a police station, burned down a police station. They sided with Antifa and Black Lives Matter against their own police. I'm telling you, there's faith here in this new generation. Faith here. Now, I'm going to follow this because I know what they're going to do. They're going to expel him like they expelled me. Mine was over wearing jackets and ties. We did a plebiscite. I was the student government president. A duly elected, I might add. No Dominion, no Smartmatic. It was a fair election. I got elected against the will of the Prefect of Discipline and the Capo di Tutti of Brooklyn Prep, Father Alexander, didn't want me to be the president of the student government. Hey, it couldn't stop me. And then we passed this plebiscite not to wear jackets and ties, which was the tradition of the school. And they said to me, not for nothing. You know, you, your parents, you work hard, so you wear jackets and ties, part of the tradition. I was a little stunat. Remember, I was taught at that time, 1968, do not trust anybody over 30. So I didn't trust them. So guess what? They kicked me out of the school. I thought all the young men would join me, right, to the barricades like in Les Miserables. They looked at me like I was a member of the leper colony. Who's he? Never heard of him? No, no. Only got one call. From one student, hundreds of students there, John Ferramosca to this day, is the only one to call to see how he was doing. Everybody else, I was persona non grata. I wasn't even worthy of a phone. Oh, my God. You know, the prefect of discipline might hear that I had called Curtis on his home phone. We didn't have cell phones. Maybe I'll have to send him smoke signals to see how he's doing. And I never look back, ladies and gentlemen. Never look back. 1-800-848-9222. Talk Radio 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. That's right. You got a young man out in the state of Washington who's standing for what he believes and is leading his peer group to get rid of those masks. How ridiculous. There's no science here. We were bamboozled. We were victims of technology every step of the way because government just wants to control every aspect of our life from the cradle to the grave. That's what government is because the more we learn that we don't need government... Then, what do we need all these elected officials for, right? Who suck up our tax dollars, defund the police, and then all of a sudden they have NYPD security 24-7 with cops driving around in SUVs that we pay for. How crazy is that? 
defund the armed security patrols assigned to all elected officials. Make them go out there solo. Make them ride the trains. Make them take a bus. Maybe some shots might be fired by competing gangs in the streets of Harlem. Oh, we're going to be talking about that up next. Oh, there's so much to go through and so little time to do it. And I know many of you would say, what are you talking about? You got 22 hours on the weekend. It's all broadcasting, Curtis, all the time. Not enough time. Not with a changing 24-hour news cycle. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Steve calling from, is this true, the Virgin Islands? Uh, is this near Pedophile Island, uh, Epstein's John? No, you keep saying that. It's not. Listen, hey, Curtis. Yeah, go ahead. Hello. Go, go ahead. Hello. Curtis, Hello. I, think, I, think, I think that you should make a book of all the things, that, all those words that you make up. Oh, you mean I already have. It's called Sleewanics. I never knew that, really. Yeah, though know, it is. I'm going to make sure that it's reposted. Uh, when I ran for mayor, obviously, they had to uh, embargo uh, our Facebook page. <laughs> well, it was fair. Uh, and now I'm going yeah. to have to make sure it's reposted. It is a language of fractured phrases, spoonerisms, malaprops that I have created. Are you serious? Yeah. I thought I was coming up with a great idea because I laughed my, I, my ass off when I summed the things because I'm Italian and Polish, too. And it's like... I, I think it would be a great book. But listen, getting talk with the mask. I used to be a, a painter. I used to paint churches and and boats and fish and guitars and all that. But a lot of times, I wrote a letter to Biden and Trump saying I wanted to be reimbursed for my mask. This is from two years ago. I haven't heard nothing. But the bottom line is, a lot of times, the fumes of of painting or whatever goes in your eyeballs, and no one's listening to me. You know it. it Fumes can go in your eyeballs when you're painting or spraying or yeah, dust yeah. or whatever. Sure. And they don't. But uh, I didn't know about the book. But, you know, I just wanted to – I just thought I – I just was laughing the other night. I go, he should write a book about this, you know? Yeah, well, Steve, okay. when the stream yeah. of consciousness is flowing, you need to figure out is, – is, is that a real word or did Curtis actually make that up? Like Dr. Irwin Corey, Norm Cosby, they were great – uh, in their era, uh, they would be on all the late night and afternoon talk show uh, talk shows. Uh, Mike Douglas out of Philadelphia. Roger Ailes actually was the producer of that on Channel Two uh, in the afternoon. You would see Dr. Irwin Corey. Uh, you would see Norm Cosby. Uh, then actually with Johnny Carson, they'd be on. Uh, Dick Cavett, they'd be on. Uh, they'd be on. Oh, and Merv Griffin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was on with Merv Griffin at Lincoln Center. He was on Channel 5. This guy propositioned me right on the stage. I had no idea. I figured, why am I on the Merv Griffin show? It was an interview show, Channel 5, Metro Media at the time. Do you know where your husband is? It's 10 o'clock. Is he with his gumata? That used to be the tagline until Murdoch bought it. Uh, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm on the stage. They were having a special week at Alice Tully Hall, Lincoln Center. And the guy had me up there for, like, the whole show. And, I mean, in between breaks, I think I was about, what, 28 at the time, Merv is, like, hitting on me. He's hitting on me. You know, we found out later on he was gay and he liked young guys. But he goes, oh, you look so muscular in that Guardian Angel T-shirt and beret. Uh, You ever go down to Atlantic City? 
Atlantic City. Little did I realize, uh, I think he actually had one of the hotels there. And this guy was Mr. Jingles. He owned all the jingles. Uh, he owned all the uh, game shows. Remember, he was all world. Should I have succumbed to the temptation of becoming the boy toy of Merv Griffin? Hell no! But it was very flattering. Was it? What I, can I say I was flattered by that, that Merv Griffin was snacking on me? You could tell the guy's eyes. Oh, you look very muscular in that Guardian Angel T-shirt. Oh, I like. he said, I like that tam. That's how I knew. He didn't call it a beret. He called it a tam because, you know, the tam has on the top the little twizzle, the twizzler there. The French like tams. We Americans like berets. Anyway, in the next hour, we have to talk about Fear City. I mean, this city is out of control. I, I, I really don't know what Eric Adams is doing, to be honest with you, other than going from press conference to press conference and saying that I'm the uh, Joe Biden of Brooklyn. I'm a Biden of Brooklyn. But now, now buses are getting shot up. Off-duty police officers are getting shot. I don't see undercover plainclothes units that he promised. That's right, because there won't be any... They're going to wear a different uniform. Psych! You all bought into that, didn't you? Oh, yeah, Eric Adams is going to put anti-crime out there. Undercover police officer, plainclothes unit. I'll never forget Larry Kudlow. He's talking with Greg Kelly. Greg was spot on. He goes, Larry, no, there's no undercover units. There's no plainclothes unit. Larry was like, I just had lunch with Eric Adams. No. He bamboozled you. He used technology. You've been watching too much TV. These men and women, there'll be 400 of them, are going to go out wearing a different kind of a uniform with a windbreaker on that's probably going to have NYPD not only emblazoned, but at night. You'll be able to see it from a mile away. they got to wear their badges. they got to wear cameras. People, wake up. Leave it to Curtis Lee. I know where everyone's bones are buried and who buried them, and nobody knows about how to make this city better. Safer than yours. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. To the phone. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Before I have to pull the strap off the cut. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Lone Beach together. Now you know you in trouble, cause ain't nothing but a G thing. Bang, bang, too low. Nothing but a gangster thing. Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre is uh, in that. It's a Chevy Impala doing hydraulics, you know, going up and down and all around. Cripping, cripping, because they're crips. They're hardcore, stone to the bone, crip gang members. Now, Dr. Dre, he's a billionaire because of people buying those stupid headphones. You know, those Dre phones. And then you got the Snoop there. He's like a millionaire ten times over because uh, every blunt company in the world wants him to be their signature advertiser. And he's a guy who did a drive-by shooting in Los Angeles County, a drive-by shooting, killed another gang member, cold-blooded murder, in front of witnesses. And when they came to court, the code of the streets prevailed. Snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. 
And somebody said, what? Snoop Dogg where? I don't see him in court. And his defense attorney said, do you recognize this man? Nope. I, I know Snoop Dogg. And guy even lied to say he didn't know who Snoop Doggy Dogg was. Bow, wow, 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 wow. It's like this and like that and like this, Santa. It's like that and like this and like that. Yeah, it's like this. It's like killing cops. Now, NWA, which was their parent organization, um, we can't say what the N was uh, with attitude. So figure it out. They're from Compton, straight out of Compton. You saw the movie. You saw the documentary. Uh, Easy E, remember, he was actually the brains behind the group to show you what schmucks the Republicans were, not to just defame the Democrats. Easy E shows up at a fundraiser for Bush 41 with the Jerry Curls, the NWA cap. He's sitting there with all the country club white Republicans from Southern California. And they said, shouldn't you be back in the kitchen, man? He said, I'm Easy E. Easy E. Who's Easy E? Look at my check for $65,000 certified. And they said, hmm, we don't care who you are. Your check didn't bounce. Bush 41 took a $65,000 campaign contribution from the brains behind NWA, which advocated killing cops. He didn't have a problem with that. Because naturally, Bush had a hard time scanning items, you know, in Landover, uh, Maryland. It's like, a pair of socks. Boy, I'm going to buy two socks. Typical wasp. You know, they throw nickels around like manhole covers. 65 Gs, E-Z-E. Oh, you're platinum RNC. These fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi hypocrites. Well, let's talk about New York City. The city of the new face of the Democratic Party, according to Eric Adams. Ooh, facha bruta. Eric Adams, what a piece of work. Now, look at this. He was going to hit the ground running. Remember, he said, we get stuff done. In the first month of Eric Adams being the mayor, we have had more crime in one month, more cops shot, more cops killed, more carjackings, more car thefts, more rapes, more robberies, more grand larcenies. I can go on and on. Then we had in any month of the inept, disconnected Bill de Blasio in eight years. Boy, that's getting stuff done, Eric. So he's talking about all the things he's going to do, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and he ain't done jack dilly squat anything. There ain't no cops in the subways. There ain't no cops in the streets. It's all mumbo-jumbo. And again, we've been bamboozled. This is technology. He's trying to buy time. And he don't have to go anywhere but Harlem, USA. Because it seems a lot of attention has been given to Harlem because... It is an area that has been high crime. I'll call it an impact area with all the high crime. And it's close to the media centers. You know, when somebody gets uh, shot like that off-duty police officer who got carjacked in Far Rockaway, uh, out there in the Auburn, Redfern, Edgemere. I know. I've been to all those places. You know, the, yeah, the media goes, do we really have to schlep out there? Do we, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the way out there. Wouldn't it be a lot better if it just happened in Manhattan? You know, it's like easy for us to cover Oh, yeah, journalists are lazy, too. Very lazy. 
But of late, if you notice, like, everything is kicking off in Harlem, USA. You know, when I listen to the Cats roundtable discussion, I suggest you all listen to it uh, Monday through Fridays at 5 o'clock. And then uh, John Katsimatidis, our owner-operator of Red Apple Media, our parent company of our WABC 50,000 powerful uh, watt blowtorch, number one in the nation. Um, he always tells his eclectic group of guests that he was born and raised on 135th in Harlem. Didn't, didn't have uh, two uh, nickels to rub together. His father bust tables. I mean, you're talking, he's starting out poor and impoverished like a lot of folks. Uh, although, to be honest with you, nowadays... <laughs> if you bust tables, you ain't going to find an affordable apartment in Harlem. Harlem, USA, check out the rental and lease rates. Check out the sale of condos. It is astronomical. But it is high crime. Look in the 32nd Precinct, which is in the northern part of Harlem. That's where, unfortunately, on 135th Street, Rivera and Mora were shot and killed, executed. Uh, by a guy who is no longer in this plane, who went straight to hell without an asbestos suit, who had one illegal gun that he used to kill those officers, executed them, and then a legal gun. A lot of people don't talk about it. Under the mattress, there was a legal assault weapon. Then we have recently a number of other robberies, beatdowns, gang activities that have occurred in Harlem. But let's look at the, the most recent two. In fact, I believe... Guardian Angels were out on patrol earlier today. Uh, there was a gang beatdown on 116th Street near First Avenue, the heart of East Harlem. Guys were just like whooping the living daylights. No cops from the 25th Precinct. Nobody, nobody getting involved. Nobody. And nobody saw anything when the cops did arrive. We ain't seen nothing. What? What beatdown? Cameras everywhere. We never had cameras years ago. Now it's like Alan Funt, candid camera. If you hear of a crime at night, on television, you always expect to see the film footage, right? The handicap here is that everybody is wearing masks, so it makes it a lot easier to be a bandito with a mask on. But I'm telling you, all the forensic details available to police to hunt down criminals was not available to them years ago when they had to do really good detective gumshoe work in order to make busts and incarcerate criminals. Let's look at the latest MTA bus. Nobody pays their fare on an MTA bus. You know, it's like fare evasion. But bus driver like uh, Jackie Gleason, okay, opens the doors. Nobody pays. Nobody pays anymore. Go on. Why should they? Alvin Bragg is not going to prosecute him. None of the other DAs are going to prosecute him. So cops, and remember, there was the fabulous Eagle Squad brought over by that limey blimey who was soon run out of New York uh, back to the London Underground. I'm, I'm, I'm failing to remember his name. Maybe those of you out there remember the limey blimey's name whose head looked like a light bulb. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. He had assembled an Eagle Squad. These were special MTA, former police officers, who would wait uh, when uh, buses were emptying. And they would ask you, could I see your receipt? For your fare. Ain't nobody asking me for my receipt for my fare. Get out of my face, cracker. And then all of a sudden, ping, handcuffs went on. And they were prosecuted. But the limey blimey wasn't in sync with the DAs or Andrew Evilize Como or Comrade Bill de Blasio. We don't prosecute fare evaders. So there's no more Eagle Squad. Their feathers got plucked. And now they're pigeons. Yeah, no, no, the limey blimey. Uh, again, what was his name? Boy, how quickly I forget. 
1-800-848-9222-1-800-848-WABC. So there's an MTA bus on 125th and Lexington Avenue, East Harlem, hot. That is a hot area. That's where the former Pathmark was. And now it looks like a third world country. Nothing's been built there to replace it. It is a desperado area. Homeless people are bust in from Randall's Island every day at 9 o'clock. They're turned loose into the streets. They're like locusts through a cornfield. On 126th Street, you have the injection gallery, which we pay for as taxpayers. So if you're a dope fiend, you go in there. You get a clean needle, and they inject you. Meantime, all the drug dealers are waiting outside as if they were vendors selling popcorn, uh, peanuts, and Cracker Jack because we're not providing the drugs. The dope fiends have to still buy their own drugs, which means they're going to shoplift. They're going to loot in the area. They're going to be a menace to society. How crazy is that? That's 126. So on 125th, on any given day, go there, 125th and Lex, uh, put on your bulletproof body condom first. And you will see there is a squad car there from the 25th precinct. You, you know, marked car, lights on. It's a placebo. Ain't nobody in the car. You think those thugs and thugettes don't know that? They laugh. And the cops, when they are sitting in there, they're not looking in the streets because they know they can't do nothing. So naturally, they're sexting and texting on their iPhones and smartphones. They've been rendered impotent. What's happened in the month that Eric Adams was mayor? I knew right away, 125 in Lexington, man, that's the hot spot. you got to take it over. Nothing. So what happens? A bus driver is driving through. Shots are being fired by gangbangers who are fighting for drug dealing turf on both sides. And the bus driver and his union says, you know, I think we need bulletproof vets. Did you ever hear bus drivers before in all the times that they had problems? And they certainly have had problems. Ever say that we need bulletproof vests while driving an MTA, money-taking agency bus? Never. What's going to happen? Another press conference. We're going to take care of our employees at MTA. They died more per capita than anyone else during COVID, which is true. But now they're going to die of lead poisoning. <laughs> they're going to die. They survived COVID. Uh, motorman conductors, maintenance, bus drivers. They survived, right? They didn't get swallowed up by the belly of the beast, although we lost more per capita per person than any other agency. How many of them perished? But now they may perish from lead poisoning. Uh, let's see what the MTA and Hokum, it's a state agency, does. And Eric Adams, I predict, press conference. You know, they'll say a lot of things. Nothing will get done. Shut down 125th and Lex. You put up the police barricades and you say, Checkpoint Charlie. Everyone's getting searched going through here. That's right. Go ahead. Take us to court. Corporation counsel will defend us. That's what Rudy would have done. But Eric Adams ain't going to do that, and definitely not Kathy Holcomb. Number two, an off-duty cop, if you notice, in Harlem, USA. The seventh officer shot the other night at 126 in Broadway. Notice, wow, a lot of synergy here. 4.30 in the afternoon. Four th- not 4.30 in the morning, because a lot of you say, ah, it's 4.30 in the morning, who cares? 4.30 in the afternoon. Wow, that's a little too close for comfort, isn't it? So he's at a public housing project. There are many NYCHA projects up there. He was departing a community vigil against violent crime in the Manhattanville houses. And he gets capped. 
because there were two guys that were firing rounds at one another. What happened to stop and frisk? Remember all during the campaign, the Democratic primary, the general election? Eric Adams, what are you going to do about the rising violent crime, the guns, the gangs in the city? I am going to re-implement stop and frisk. I have yet to see a cop uniformed uh, do a stop and frisk. There are no undercovers. There are no plainclothes units. There are none of those, ladies and gentlemen. I know you said. I heard him say that the other day, Curtis. Ain't happening. Got to get control. Can't be like this. Wait, wait, gets better. Upscale Boutique, how many of our listeners there at that Miracle Mile out there? You know, Northern Boulevard, Nassau County, back-to-back, belly-to-belly. I mean, Fortune 500 companies galore. They're salivating. We're going to do a smashing grab there. But you see, it's too much intensive security. So they figured, hey, we'll go from boutique to boutique. So they go downtown uh, Manhattan, Worcester Street, Worcester Street, right there in Soho. They go inside. They enter this Manhattan store. They push the door open. They fight with the French boutique security. They're actually throwing blows. They pull out their their guns. They put them to their head, and they steal millions of dollars of real bags, designer bags, the legitimate ones, you know, the Louis Vuitton, the Gucci bags, not the ones that you, Izzy, buy there on Canal Street, you know, right off of Center Street with all the West African guys there and the Chinese people saying, buy, buy, bag, bag, knockoff bags. I mean, like, for, for, for blocks and blocks and blocks. What happened to the squad, the vendor squad? How come they're not making arrests? No, ain't going to happen. And these guys not only brazenly robbed this boutique like they have robbed other boutiques, in daylight, 1230 in the afternoon, they didn't break in after store hours, and they waved at the cameras like Alvin Bragg, you can't touch this. And they got their Alvin Bragg swag bag. They're, they were waving it at the cameras. It's now called the Alvin Bragg swag bag because you can loot. You can go in and shoplift and ain't going to do Jack D. Lee squad. I love it. They say, oh, well, he said he's going to get rough on crime. Yeah, he ain't doing nothing to shoplifters. He ain't doing nothing to looters. Now, Kathy Wilde, whoever she is. Oh, yeah, I, I sat I sat with him. Oh, Charles Gasparino tore her up the other day. He said, what are you talking about, Kathy? It's, you're wishing it. It's, it, it's what you want to happen, and you're right, but he ain't going to deliver the goods. Why? Because he's using technology. He's bamboozling everybody. He's buying time. And every one of these other DAs, they haven't published a manifesto like Alvin Bragg did. They have in their offices a do not prosecute list. Now, I know there are some members of the media that are listening right now. Why don't you go to the DA's offices and say, do you have a list that the assistant DA's have? A do not prosecute list? Let them lie. Let them go on record and say they don't because they all have them. And when you can't find them, come to yours truly, Curtis Lee, and I'll tell you exactly where they are. Because loose lips sink ships. Don't you think there are ADAs? who've dedicated their life to prosecuting criminals, to keeping streets safe, who don't like what these DAs are doing to our city, bending over backwards to the criminals, who have spoke to me on the record. Oh, no, no, Alvin Bragg, Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg was the only one who publicly said that. Imagine that. Now, you know the thugs are going to be out there, the shoplifters. They're going to say, I want my Alvin Bragg swag bag as I go through the aisles of Dwayne Reed, Walgreens, and CBS. 
and they're closing. Oh, but he, but he said he, he, he would actually enforce the law. He said he would try. He said he would amend himself. Why the hell should you have to bend, buck, and bow and beg this guy to do his job? Kathy Holcomb, fire him. You can fire him. Show some. Well, she doesn't have Weibo's. She's a woman. By the way, I was with Kathy Holcomb yesterday in Flushing. Everybody was freezing their tuchuses off. This woman is from Buffalo, right? It doesn't get colder than Buffalo. It's 40 degrees below zero, wind chill factor off Lake Erie. She can see Ontario through her kitchen window. She said that. She was shivering. I'm saying, does she really live in Buffalo? Tonawanda, Cheektowaga? Does she live in Erie County? I don't know. I was wondering after I saw her shivering yesterday, all the politicians, you know, they're all glad-handing one another. Look at what a great job we've done. Meantime, Asians who supported me, yeah, I won the Asian vote against Eric Adams, were saying, hey, what are you going to do about 368% increase in attacks against Asians? Nothing. You could hear the crickets. Even the crickets, though, had sweaters on, man. It was cold out there. The hawk was talking. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. You believe it? Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre doing the halftime show of the Super Bowl next Sunday in Los Angeles with all their homies. All their crips from Long Beach. Let me let me hear let me hear what this degenerate has to, to rap, huh? Somehow, some way, keep coming up with funky ass hits like every single day. May I kick a little? Yeah, that, that's the radio edition. That's the clean edition. Come on, Uzi, Izzy, Uzi, whatever your name is, board operator. You don't fool me. That's not the real deal. Oh, that's right. We couldn't play Snoop Dogg or Dr. Dre. Uh, on any radio station, they have to have the cleaned-up edition because they talk about capping cops, killing cops. So next Sunday, while you're all salivating, oh, super, oh, can't say it. Well, what is it called? What, the game sounds like a WWE wrestler. Uh, everyone's going to be gathered around. And in the field, you know how they typically have all the young kids running towards the stage? They're all going to be crips, all wearing blue. Ain't nobody going to be allowed to wear red. And well, well, why, why can't we can't wear red? Nobody better be wearing red. They're going to take their nine millimeters and say, this is Crip land. Because Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre are here. And they'll cap you right in the ass. And I bet you they'll be strapped on the stage. Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre will be strapped. And nobody's going to do a stop and frisk on them. America is being ruled by the NFL. Roger Goodell, who honors thugs and thugettes in a halftime show that will be watched by the world in days in which we've been honoring and mourning the deaths of police officers, the shootings of police officers that are an all-time high, and we let them get away with that? You know damn well if Rudy Giuliani or Mayor of Los Angeles, not Garcetti. Garcetti, uh, I only took my mask off for three seconds with magic, and I didn't breathe. You think he's going to pull that nonsense uh, at the, uh, oh, the game. I have to say the game. What are the ramifications if I call it? How about the stupid bowl, right? They don't have that trademark. They don't have that copyrighted. The stupid bowl. 
And shame, shame on all of you. Oh, we're just going to ignore that. Like you did Black Lives Matter. Like you did when they were taking a knee. Like you did when they say, no, we're not coming out for the national anthem. In fact, we're going to take a knee to the national anthem. We want to play the black national anthem. How many of these black football players even know the words to the black national anthem? Almost none. And you, you crackers. You got bamboozled, and now you're all back again. Oh, the stupid bowl. God. Yeah, you're setting yourself up. You're setting yourself up for this. Let's go to Tony in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Tone. Hey, man. So I I manage a, a supermarket in Brooklyn, and not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I had about 10... 10 kids come into my store and they went and they tried to hit my ice cream section all said and done. Each one of these kids had an empty knapsack. They tried loading them up with like pints of Ben and Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs and whatever else they could get. I managed to me alone, not, not with any help from my employees or my workers. I managed to get all of my product back, called the police, the police came a half an hour later, and just by coincidence, these kids were across the street. The police wouldn't go after them. The police refused to take a report. And and in hindsight, in hindsight, the police, during the whole Bill de Blasio term, and even when this clown got elected, the police are turning their backs on the people of New York, along with this district attorney. And the whole culture of law enforcement needs to be cleansed from the top down. That's my opinion. Now, now, Tony, you obviously are entitled to that opinion because you've seen it firsthand as I've seen it. Which part of Brooklyn are you in? Crown Heights. All right. Crown Heights, I've been there, as you know, many times, uh, both in the White Hipster Millennial area, the Lubavitcher area, and the West Indian area. All of those areas are plagued by this. The young people come in like locusts through the cornfield. Now, you know what they do with the haagen and the Ben & Jerry's? Sure. They go sell them to those corner stores. Right, the bodegas. That's right. And everybody knows it. It's an open secret. Nobody follows up on it. So it's basically like Robin Hood. We steal from the big supermarkets. And then we give it to the the little people who are running the bodegas, right, Tom? Well, you know, so I'm 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 not a big supermarket. I'm a I'm a family-owned guy. You know, I I run a small store. It's just that I'm I'm constantly getting hit by these shoplifters, and I can hold my own. But but what hurts me is that when I do call the police, they don't come. And then when they do come. They don't want to document. They don't want to take reports. They don't want to go after these kids. There was a time. There was a time when when the police. They used to put me in the car with them. We used to go around the neighborhood, look for the kids. We pick up the kids. They take me to the station, press charges. None of that's happening. Yes, and you know why? Because we went from uh, the time of Giuliani, where there was zero tolerance. Uh, and then Ray Kelly, who was running the police department, because really Bloomberg had no involvement with the police department, it was Ray Kelly for 12 years of the Bloomberg administration. 20 years where that was the norm, 
And then for eight years, de Blasio handcuffed the police. And Eric Adams, in his first month, could have sent out a very quick signal that we are stopping shoplifters and, if nothing more, returning the product if they weren't going to prosecute him. But no, nothing is being done, Tony. You are absolutely right. Stores like yours will close. People will say, I've had it. And next stop, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, and parts unknown. But hold on, Tony. You're how old? 48. All right. You, you, can, you can hold on, Tony, because uh, there'll be time to rectify this, to turn this around. We went through this in the 70s, 80s, and 90s where store owners had to carry guns. A lot of them illegal illegal because they couldn't get a permit. A lot of them had to keep guns behind the counter because the thugs came in and just did what they wanted to do, how they did it, when they wanted to do it, and they weren't prosecuted either. So this is like um, we've gone through the figure eight, and this mayor, he hasn't even addressed it. And the DAs, oh, that's right. Who's the DA of Brooklyn? Grew up in the Lindsay Co-op stand in the 90th Precinct in Williamsburg. He wanted to be, he, he said, I should be the state attorney general when it looked like Tish James was going to run uh, for uh, the Democratic uh, nomination to become uh, governor against Holcomb. Eric Gonzalez, right? You know that if you get caught with a gun, first time you get caught with a gun, loaded or unloaded, in Brooklyn, you don't go to jail. You go for counseling once a week with pizza and Coca-Cola, and the counselor says, Hey, Raheem, don't do it. Come on, Raheem. Don't do it. Come on. Raheem says, Yeah, but look, I, I didn't go to jail. <laughs> You're giving me a get-out-of-jail pass to go and do it again. I'm going to get my nine. This time I ain't going to get caught. Eric Gonzalez and all these DAs, it's an embarrassment. Now, Will Eric Adams take him on? No, of course not. That's his friend, Eric Gonzalez. Really? Really? Come on, get wise. Look at what's happening in the first month. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tom in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Yeah, hi, Curtis. I'd like to say that in our particular area, the police station isn't far away uh, from us, and... Most of the, the stores around where we are seem to all be intact. I haven't, like, we've got Cherry Valley up here. Uh, we've uh, we got the Sea Towns. They seem to be intact. It doesn't seem there is anything going on in the thefts or anything here. Oh, it sounds like Nirvana. Tom, are you sure you live in the Bronx? Where in the Bronx do you live? Bedford Park. You out of your freaking I mind. Wait a second. You're telling me about Bedford Park? I mean, that shoot them up. When the sun goes down, the thugs rule. You know that, Tom. People don't well, walk wait, the streets wait, wait, at five. What I'm trying to say is that the stores seem to be intact. That's How do you know that? Do you go into the stores, Tom? Oh, yeah. Well, in other words, the, like uh, the, the dollar store up here is still intact. Uh, wait, wait. I, they haven't looted the dollar store yet? Not that I know. Oh, no. wait. Do you see the chains in the dollar store? Go and try to get yourself a 99-cent Coco Rico. You know what Coco Rico is? 
Uh, soda. Yeah, it's the champagne of college, Coco Rico. And you will find that when you go to get your Coco Rico, all of a sudden it's changed on the refrigerator. You got to get a clerk. Clerk, well, when you go shopping up in Bedford Park, everything is is covered with chains and locks. So normally what would have taken you maybe 10 minutes takes you like two hours. Because, you know, as you go from section to section, everything is chained and locked down. God, I don't know what Tom is going. Dollar store, right? Oh, yeah. Maybe those items, you know, that they sell for 10 cents. Uh, maybe the thugs and thugettes, they haven't shoplifted that. Anyway, let's go to Karen in Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Karen. Hi. Um I just wanted to remind you that I'm the one that suggested that nooks, that you know the nooks and crannies of the city. And I also suggested that you have a Scrabble game in your name. <laughs> oh, that's right. Can, you, you. can you imagine a Scrabble game in honor of the language that I have created, the Spoonerisms, <laughs> Malaprops, yeah. Pratchett phrases, <laughs> Sliwanics? Can you imagine that? Scrabble, Sliwanic <laughs> style. Well, they had Ebonics, so now they can have Sliwanics. Exactly. <laughs> now, that was a scam. They tried to get millions of yes, dollars from the uh, Department of Education in Washington to implement Ebonics into the curriculum. Why can't we implement Sliwanics, right? That's right. Well, the one that suggested that she was from Oakland, she quit after, you know, she got laughed out of uh, the school system with that stupid Ebonics thing. That's right. Oh, you have an. <laughs> A cogent memory. You're right. It was. It started in Oaktown. Except Karen has that reverb. Notice, courtesy. I heard myself in stereo surround sound. I, I like hearing myself. You know, other talk show hosts and hostesses, they said, nah, I, I don't listen. You watch. They listen to themselves over and over again. Narcissism. Narcissism? Narcissistic? You know what I'm talking about. Starts with Frank Morano, Sid Rosenberg. We can go right on down the list. They love listening to themselves. Anyway, let's go to Max in Port Washington. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Max. Hey, Curtis. I'm African-American. I lived in Pelham Parkway on Yates Avenue and Pelham Parkway for 11 years. No crime, Curtis. No crime. I, we were only a handful of minorities in the whole neighborhood. I don't know if they're Yugoslavian or Bader, whatever they are. There's no crime. doesn't have to be. It's us. It's the black and Hispanics. And, and, and we voted for this crap. Let them eat it, Curtis. Let them eat it. Let, let Eric Adams, he's not going to do anything. He's as bad as the Blasio. But you know what? Let them eat it. It's my brothers and sisters that's being murdered on the street. Let them keep getting murdered. The well, next time they'll go for somebody like Giuliani. Well, Max, you know, uh, you're talking about Morris Park there. It is Little Albania now. What a uh, few Italians were there have fled. They're gone. And still, you have the Italian boot, you know, on the wall of the pizzerias. You think an Italian guy owns it? No, it's the Macedonians. They're <laughs> from Albania. That's little Albania. Albanians are tough. They don't put up with that crap. But I want you to listen to Howard Safer. Howard Safer, former police commissioner, remember, he was number two to Rudy Giuliani. First, it was Bratton. But let's face it, it was Rudy who really ran the police department. That's why Bratton couldn't get along with Rudy, because he said, I'm the police commissioner. Rudy said, no, you're not. You're out of here. I want Howard Safer, who made his bones as uh, head of the DEA. He was a DEA agent in uh, South America, tough Jewish guy from the Bronx. Then became fire commissioner. 
then became police commissioner. And he he analyzed what Eric Adams has said lately about the promised undercover units that you all thought were coming, the plainclothes units. It's certainly not the optimum way. It's, you know, I'm hoping that uh, Mayor Adams did it this way to, to kind of progressively get back to real plainclothes units. But, no, if you have a ray jacket on us as NYPD, if you have a body camera, uh, everybody in the neighborhood's going to know you're the police. That's how it's safe for him. You know, he's dry. He said it like it is. Uh, I heard Nicole Maliotakis, who is under siege now, her congressional district has been reapportioned. Uh, if you notice, and Frank Morano, to his credit, he was the first one to say this. Frank Morano appeared uh, with me, remember the handoff, just last week. And for the first time on radio, I was silent. I couldn't believe what he was saying. Frank Morano, right before the handoff, uh, before 1 o'clock in the morning, said that Bill de Blasio would be running for the Maliotakis reapportioned congressional district, and I was speechless. Now it turns out that Frank was ahead of the curve. He was correct. The very next day he appeared with John Katzmatidis, the roundtable discussion at 5. He said it. People doubted him. They made fun of Frank Morano, like I do. Uh, they say, you don't know what you're talking about. And now look at every article in every newspaper, in every blog, in every political uh, published uh, item. And it's all saying that Bill de Blasio is now running for that district because they've axed out some of the Republican districted areas and they put in the hopelessly Democrat, liberal, progressive areas of Park Slope. Where, remember... That's right, Bill de Blasio, those are his homies there. Guanis, you couldn't be more liberal and progressive. That's AOC land. All out crazy. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, and Sunset Park. Liberals, progressives. Uh, If the lines hold up, if they are able to hold up under challenge, and I think they will not be able to turn back this uh, decision. He could win that district, believe it or not. He definitely will win Park Slope, Gowanus, Sunset Park. He will win Northern Bay Ridge, which is not Italian and Irish. It's not the old enclave. It's not the Marty Golden Bay Ridge that you guys remember, the former cop. And he might win sizable parts of the North Shore, Staten Island. He could win that district. That's why we all got to get behind Nicole Maliotakis. I know many of you are saying, ah, that's Bill de Blasio. Everybody hates him. Listen. They don't hate him that much that they wouldn't want to get rid of the only Republican congressional uh, seat that is held by a Republican in the five boroughs. They will do anything to get rid of Nicole Maliotakis and take over Staten Island. Can you imagine this, Bill de Blasio, who's coming to Staten Island? Remember, that's where he went. He went to Goodfellas, the pizza place on Highland Boulevard that's owned by a Scientologist. You didn't know that, right? Scientology, yeah, yeah, L. Rod Humbert. Remember, that's the place that he ate pizza with a knife and a fork, that Gavon, that Jadru. And he claimed he was right in his pretentious way. Oh, no, this is the real way Italians eat pizza. Managela. And some of you believe that crap. And then remember, he took Charlene and he took his son and daughter to Italy, back to the, the home country land of his mother. He said he changed his name from... Uh, uh, von Wilhelm, Kaiser von Wilhelm, because he was so German. His father, a war hero who was uh, damaged uh, in the many battles against the Japanese in the Pacific. 
And he impugned his father and said, I changed my last name because my father was bad to me. None of his siblings changed their last name. He's got five siblings. In fact, a brother who owns a steakhouse in Atlantic City. Name, Von Wilhelm. He came in calculating that the only way you could win in New York City was to have an Italian last name, not a German. Well, by the way, Trump's last name, German, right? He was honored at the annual Steuben Day Parade up Fifth Avenue. Eric Ulrich, that Utreditor, that Judas, who now works for Eric Adams, the so-called Republican. Uh, he's German. You know, he lived in Lindenwood, right between Howard Beach and Ozone Park. No, no, Germans could win. But he was he was not going to hedge his bet. So he became de Blasio. That's right. Talking about how uh, he had gone to Berlitz and learned Italian. And some of you schmucks out there, you were bamboozled and you were victims of technology. And look at what you got. The Italian stallion, Bill de Blasio, turned out to be what? What is a horse that no longer has his male member? What is the name? Because, you see, we play trivia all along in the hours that I do here on the weekend. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Paul, who's been waiting a long time in East Rockaway. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paul. Hello, Curtis. The... uh... Limey Blimey, who was the president of New York City Transit, was uh, Andy Byford. That is correct. And, you know, I disparaged him first. I called him a wanker. Not a, <laughs> not a very nice term, you know. Uh, well, he didn't uh, – he wasn't a favorite of the former governors. No, Andrew Evilized Cuomo uh, saw him as being a threat because he actually knew about his subway system – he had imposed uh, to try to stop the massive fare evasion because so many people don't pay their fare, especially on the buses in the Bronx and Staten Island. Nobody pays. They just bogart. Oh, yeah. Walk in, don't pay. So he established the Eagle Squad, the crack swab squad that was loyal to Andy Byford, former police officers. They would wait at the last stop because that's where most of the people depart. And then they'd say, tickets, please. Ah. We need to see your tickets. <laughs> and then they'd lock them up. Well, and then all of the a sudden, Andy Byford went nuts. He said, what do you mean? They're not going to prosecute fair evasion in Staten Island, in the Bronx, in Queens, in Brooklyn, in Manhattan? He said, that's crazy. If nobody pays the fare, how are we going to subsidize billions and billions of dollars? And he learned quickly it was the MTA money-taking agency just taking more and more of our tax dollars because they don't collect the fare. Yep. Excellent, excellent. I applaud you, Paul. I applaud you for being so cogent, so astute. Anyway, when we come back, very special Focus. This is the Weeby Thugging Update. We've done the Weeby Thugging Update. I've told you about all the thugging, especially the, in Harlem that's going on. Nothing being done in the 3-2 precinct. Nothing being done in the 2-5 precinct or the 2-8 precinct. Nothing other than vigils at the 3-2 precinct in memories of Officer Rivera and Mora who were assigned there. But in terms of implementation, crackdowns in the street, Nothing. And can I hear Howard Safer again, please? Howard Safer. Again, many of you are of the belief that Eric Adams was going to reimpose the anti-crime unit, which was plain clothes undercover, right? 
Even Nicole Maliotakis the other morning on with Sid and Bernie said, oh, yeah, Eric Adams is going to put back uh, the plainclothes unit, the undercover unit. Not. It's certainly not the optimum way. It's, you know, I'm hoping that uh, Mayor Adams did it this way to, to kind of progressively get back to real plainclothes units. But, no, if you have a ray jacket on, it's an NYPD. If you have a body camera, uh, everybody in the neighborhood is going to know you're the police. Do you hear that from former police commissioner Howard Safer? The so-called undercover anti-crime plainclothes unit will be readily identifiable with an NYPD windbreaker. They will be wearing their badge and they will be showing a video microphone attached to their apparel. Now, is that undercover? Is that 5-0? Do you do jump outs that way? The answer is absolutely not. Let's quickly go to Gary and Inwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Curtis, if I'm correct, uh, with the horse, I believe that's a gelding. You couldn't be more hopelessly right. You're right. Look, uh, Bill de Blasio uh, was a gelding for eight years. And he still is. No doubt about it, except we thought that nightmare was over, right? You thought it was over, Gary? And I got to give credit where credit is due. Our own Frank Morano figured it out. He was the first. Others are taking credit for it now. No, 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 no. We have the documentary evidence. Uh, I have never been shut down on talk radio. I always have an opinion. I was speechless when he first pronounced that a week ago this day and then followed it up quickly the day after. Exclusive news breaking uh, on the uh, the panel discussion that uh, our owner operator, John Casamitidis, uh, has at 5 o'clock. And I know some of the people who were on the panel that day was, yeah, Frank doesn't know what he's talking about. He was he was absolutely correct. Bill de Blasio is going to run in the Democratic primary. Max Rose is a centrist Democrat. There is a DSA opponent, an acolyte of AOC, and there'll be Bill de Blasio. He'll raise more money than any of the Democrats. He will eke out a victory. He will take on Maliotakis, who will have quite the war chest. It will be a race watched all over the nation. But he conceivably, I've looked at the lines. I've become pretty, pretty good at figuring out block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood. Believe it or not, there is a possibility that Bill de Blasio will be the congressman of Staten Island. Payback is a, you know what. Talk Radio 77 WABC. York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. And in honor of Frank Morano being the first breaking news, and now everybody else is following, many of them still stunned at Frank. Knew this before anybody else, simply because he figured it out. When uh, we join him, when he joins us uh, before the start of his program, uh, maybe he can explain the analytics that he used to figure that out. I hate to tell you out there in Staten, Italy, your congressman may become Bill de Blasio. Oh, my God. The for sale signs will be everywhere. South Shore, Mid-Island, North Shore. We got to make sure that doesn't happen and back Nicole Maliotakis with every fiber of our body and every hidden dollar that you have in your Medallia Doro coffee can 
buried near the fig tree out there in the South Shore of Tottenville. Anyway, in honor of Frank Morano, I think uh, we got to juice up his, uh, his podcast. It's a mob podcast. It's called The Racket Report. You can get it on WABCRadio.com and wait till you see the picture of Frank. You know, Frank is very nebbishy. He's very schlubby. You see his picture on Facebook. It says high school graduation picture from Tottenville, the Purple Pirate. You know, it's like, come on, Frank. You're no longer a teenager. But you look at this picture on the racket report. My God, he looks like he could have been a made man. There's Sammy the Bull Gravano from Bull's Head, and then there's Frank Morano from South Shore. Anyway, this is an interview he did with a former, yeah, this is never a former, Colombo crime family enforcer, Anthony Romandi. What is the status of Italian organized crime these days? Is it still powerful? Is it still around? And if it is, why do we hear about it so rarely? First, in my opinion, I think that the Russians, the Chinese, the, uh, the what do you call them, the Yakuza with the, with the Japanese, the tribes, I think they're more powerful than the Italians right now. I'll be perfectly honest with you because one thing, and I'm going to be honest with you, I mean, you know, if you think about it, the Italians do not stick together. They, they really don't, because who's the first ones to rat on use your own guys? Where the Russians, they stick together. The Yakuza with the Japanese, they stick together. The triads, they stick together. Even these other groups from, uh, let's say, like from Haiti or wherever they're coming from, or like these uh, other gangs there, they stick together. The Italians, if you ever notice, the Italians do not stick together. If there's a problem outside, for argument's sake, like let's say like you get Black Lives Matter, okay? Black people stick together and they will protest, okay? The Italians won't. Like, like with Columbus Day, when they were saying that they wanted to make Columbus Day uh, Indigenous People's Day or they wanted to add something else into uh, Columbus Day, nobody put up a stink. They all kept their mouth quiet. But if it would have been a different, uh, like with the Russians or something, they all make their voice heard and they want what they want. The Italians do not stick together. Look at the neighborhoods. They run out of the neighbor. They run out of their neighborhoods like uh, like when you turn on the light, the cockroaches start to scatter. Let's put it that way. If somebody sells their house in the neighborhood, uh, and they see there's people moving in, they all decide they're going to put their house up, and they run out of the neighborhood. They just don't stick together. That's what it is. He's absolutely correct. That was the way my grandfather Fidelo Bianchino was in Canarsie. And a lot of the Italians who came from nearby East New York who refused to get on the Belt Parkway, refused to get out to uh, Nassau and Suffolk County, do the hop, skip, and a jump. Uh, as my grandfather, Fidelo Bianchino, said, hey, one young, meaning young young boy, uh, when the fig tree dies, that's when we leave. And he did everything all through a winter, just like this, winters that were far more brutal, uh, like 20 feet of snow. Uh, 20 below zero wind chill factor, no global warming, no climate change in the 60s. And he would cover that fig tree uh, with all kinds of mattresses, all kinds of clothing, and actually tar paper. When the weather would uh, plunge below freezing, below 32, he'd have the barrel out there burning wood, trying to keep the temperatures immediately around the fig tree warm enough to keep that fig tree alive. And every spring, uh, it would... uh, we would have figs. And he would say, one young, we're staying. And he coined the phrase, improve, don't move. He was not going to be run up. 
He died at the age of 99 in my arms, right there in Canarsie. He was not leaving. Italians always the last to leave. The Irish, the Jews, everybody else. Ah, let's get out of here. You know, somebody uh, in the real estate Fillmore office calls you up. Hey, you see who moved down the block? Huh? You want to smell? You want to sell now? You better sell now before the the prices plummet. And by the way, I can hook you up with a real estate guy right there in Delray in Florida. That's how it works. Redlining. Yeah, that sounded like, boy, that was good. I'm going to have to listen to that podcast. That's a damn good podcast. And you know I know all about the mob because they're my enemies. That's the Racket Report. And check out the picture of Frank Morano. He's flexing. He's not uh, schlubby. Uh, he's not nebbishy. He's not a pisher in this picture. He looks like he could be a made guy. Anyway, uh, on the Colombo crime front, I didn't really know Colombo's other than Sonny Francisi, a psychotic killer who was responsible for killing over 50 people that we know of. I had battles with the Lucases and obviously the Gambinos, but I want to report uh, an update on the Colombo crime family monster, Ralph DiMatteo. 66, he walked out of a Brooklyn jail just five months when his son posted a photo of his fugitive father lounging in a sunny Florida pool uh, after a federal indictment, right? He bamboozled the federal government, the FBI, that used to stand for forever-busting Italians. And a judge cut him loose. This guy was doing business on the phone, which was wired up like a Christmas tree out of the federal jail in Sunset Park. And it's interesting, he was originally busted with Andrew Mush Russo and his underboss, Benjamin Castellazzo, best friends of Sonny Corleone. Oh, yeah, James Conn. I'll never forget, uh, on the other station I was at, AM 970, The Answer, I was talking about James Conn, Jewish guy, just like Sid, always wanting to be an Italian. You know, if they could die and come back, they'd want to come back as an Italian. They forget, they forget the British. Uh, forget the davening, forget the, uh, <laughs> forget being 13 and, and, and going through the ritual of a bar mitzvah. They'd want to be a Catholic, Italian, you know, getting communion and confirmation. But the station there, because they got weak, made me write out an apology to James Kahn. And they wanted me to read it over the air. Frank Morano was my producer at the time. He goes, they want you to read this? This is worse than what you originally said the first time. It's a shh. Shh. They probably have an Italian lawyer. If it was a Jewish lawyer, he would never have permitted this. Shh, quiet. And I did the apology, and it was actually worse than what I had originally said about Sonny Corleone, you know, with the anger management, James Kahn. Talk about somebody who bamboozled his way through that. They wrote up, you know, volumes. Mr. Sliwa must read this or we'll own your radio station. Uh, Okay. I read it. And people who were listening, they said, and that was supposed to make things right. We'll see what Joe Rogan's going to do now that he has been exposed as dropping the N-bomb like dozens and dozens and dozens of times. You know, when you're a white boy, a Caucasian persuasion, a snow bro, a cockazoid, you're not permitted to drop the N-bomb. This guy dropped the N-bomb ad nauseum, and all of a sudden there's a freeze. Like nobody's talking now. Will he go or will he stay?
Will free speech continue to be alive on Rogan's podcast, or will he be talking to the pigeons in Central Park uh, with uh, via a Dixie cup attached to a string? What did I say last week? Same time, same place. You laughed at me when I said my generation's Neil Young from O Canada, the host said, A, decided to defy Joe Rogan by pulling his list of hits from Spotify. And you all said, ah, he's lost it. He's an old codger. He doesn't have the juice of Joe Rogan. And you were right. Joe Rogan gets paid $100 million by Spotify, a growing international audience. He is the darling of people who say... Free speech must must rule and prevail, right? But I said, hey, watch. These old conscious are going to start networking up. First it was Graham Nash. Then it was Joni Mitchell, who had been his uh, love interest at one point. Then it was uh, Graham Nash, uh, who Joni Mitchell had been his love interest at one time. Then it was bad boy David Crosby. Who? Joni Mitchell had been his love interest at one time. And then it was Stephen Stills. Who? Joni Mitchell was never his love interest. But Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Joni Mitchell, and uh, Lyles, Niles Lofgren of the group I hate, the E Street Band, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, Farmer Bruce, also pulled his list. And many of you said, it's not going to hurt him. Not going to hurt him. It's Joe Rogan, the $100 million Spotify man. Because he was interviewing people whose credentials did not pass muster with Dr. Fauci. And so immediately he was vilified. They were looking to terminate him, drive him out of the Spotify sphere. But they were losing, losing ground. When you consider that not only conservatives, Republicans, and independents were coming to the aid of Joe Rogan, who was under attack, but even liberals and progressives, like, listen to the defense that John Stewart himself uh, gave to Joe Rogan, who was under siege. I don't know if you remember, there was a guy who went on his podcast named Josh Zeps, who, who had, they were talking about, I think Joe said, myocarditis. Kids shouldn't get the vaccine because it causes a, a higher risk of myocarditis. And Josh said, well, actually, getting COVID is a higher risk of myocarditis for kids, so they should get vaccinated. He said, no, it's not. So no, I think it is. He goes, mm, no, I'm pretty sure it's, it's the other way. And they looked it up. And when they looked it up, it came out that it's a much greater risk if you get COVID and you're, you know, 8 to 12 or 6 to 15 or whatever the age range was, it's a much greater risk of myocarditis catching COVID than it is getting the vaccine. And if you are an ideologue or if you are a dishonest person, that is the moment. Like Tucker Carlson in that situation never would have looked it up and would have given that look he gives like somebody's giving him a confusion enema. Like they're just, <laughs> like, like they're just firing confusion up. And Joe just went like, oh, I didn't know. Ah, oh, okay, I didn't get that. And, and that to me says, oh, that's a person that you can engage with. That was uh, John Stewart. Pretty, uh, pretty good tactical air support for Joe Rogan. In fact, it seemed like Joe Rogan was going to escape with even more credibility to his trademark, more listeners more paid subscriptions to Spotify, 
and that, in fact, uh, this, uh, this speed bump, he would supersede and he would go on to not only continue to be the number one podcaster in the world, but become the image for free speech. You know, when you talk about free speech, from now on you would always refer to Joe Rogan, who took on Dr. Fauci and uh, President Joe Biden and Vice President Harris and those who said there's only one way to talk about the lockdown and pandemic. It's the U.S. government way or it's the highway. And Joe Rogan, to his credit, said, I'm going to interview everybody here. And he has. And I think he was on safe ground. But now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a much, much more precarious position. You know, when you're up there and you're flying high, you're number one, second to none, people are going to come gunning for you. And apparently, unbeknownst to us, people were compiling a list of the many times in previous podcasts Unbeknownst to almost anybody out there that Joe Rogan was dropping the N-bomb, for various reasons, dropping the N-bomb. Not once, not twice. I mean, a hell of a lot. Really shocked a lot of people. Look, generally stuff like that. Think back when Joe Rogan uh, endorsed Bernie the Altacaca Sanders. He became a Bernie bro. And Bernie Sanders liked that because obviously Joe Rogan is a free agent. Uh, one minute, he's supporting Bernie the Altacaca Sanders. The next minute, he's talking about uh, Michelle Obama would be his choice if she was to run for president. He's unpredictable. And let's face I mean, come on. Bernie the Altacaca Sanders is surrounded by a lot of women. Uh, look at his uh, Soviet-style uh, wife with the babushka on her head. Uh, you know he's handpacked. There's no doubt about it. That's why he's so boisterous. He's so belligerent in public. And then when he goes home, yes, dear, yes. No problem. Yes, AOC, you you are going to eventually take over the Democratic Socialists of America when all of a sudden I'm no longer around and people are sitting shiver for me. Even the atheists sitting shiver for me at the old Dubrows where all the socialists would have their chulling. And, yep, AOC was the anointed one. But remember how AOC objected to Bernie the outer Cocker Sanders embracing Joe uh, Rogan as a Bernie bro. Remember that? She said, you're going to have to choose between Joe Rogan, me, and the DSA. And Bernie never really made a choice. He wanted to have it both ways. Well, now Joe Rogan has made his bed with the N-word, and he's going to have to sleep in it. And I notice all is quiet on the Western Front. Nobody has said anything. Everybody's waiting. Like, what more is going to come out? But this is what Joe Rogan said towards the weekend about his use of the prohibited N-bomb that white boys and white girls in America cannot use. We claim that we're the land of the free, home of the brave. We have free speech. But let's face it, we don't have free speech. I don't have free speech uh, on WABC. There are things I can't say. I could be fired. You don't have free speech. Come on. Uh, We approach free speech better than any other country in the world. You remember George Carlin, who did that riff about the seven words that we can't say on the radio or on TV because of FCC rules and regulations, and that's their right to do that. It's a limited number of things we can't say, but I think our complexion is not our protection if a white boy decides to drop the N-bomb. In fact, Look at a guy who, when he first broke through in the rap world, Slim Shady, 8 Mile, outside of Detroit. We all thought he was black. 
Nobody. Or like uh, <laughs> Ice, Vanilla Ice, when he first came out with his rap, all the brothers stole, oh, Vanilla Ice, yeah, black guy. No, he's a white boy. Can you imagine if he dropped the N-bomb? Vanilla Ice would have been held by his ankles by uh, the same guy who went to jail almost for doing that and would have been turned upside down all around and had his head handed to him on a silver platter. White boys are not permitted to drop the N-bomb. Maybe Joe Rogan is trying to break new ground. Listen to him. I'm making this video to talk about the most regretful and shameful thing that I've ever had to talk about publicly. There's a video that's out that's a compilation of me saying the N-word. It's a video that's made of clips taken out of context of me of 12 years of conversations on my podcast, and it's all smushed together, and it looks horrible, even to me. That ain't good. Then uh, Joe Rogan goes on and tries to, as Rick Ricardo would say to Lucille Ball, I'm trying to explain to you. Now, I know that to most people, there's no context where a white person is ever allowed to say that word, never mind publicly on a podcast. And I agree with that now. I haven't said it in years. But for a long time, when I would bring that word up, like if it would come up in conversation, instead of saying the N-word, I would just say the word. I thought as long as it was in context, people would understand what I was doing. Like that context was part of the clip we were talking about Red Fox, how Red Fox said that word on television in the 1970s and how times have changed so much since then. Or about how Richard Pryor used it as one of the titles of one of his albums. Or I was quoting a Lenny Bruce bit or I was quoting a Paul Mooney bit or I was talking about how Quentin Tarantino used it repeatedly in Pulp Fiction. Or I was talking about how a Netflix executive ironically used it because he was trying to compare it to another offensive word, and he said it out loud, and they fired him. Hmm. He went through quite an extensive list of uh, people who have okayed the use of the N-word. You think Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, who are going to be the stars, Udiscraziata, the Shandas of the halftime Super Bowl show, We'll give a shout out to Joe Rogan. Do we think that, does anybody here think that, Ryan? Uh, do you think that, that uh, Snoop Dogg, while smoking a blunt on stage, and Dr. Dre, uh, while capping people with his 9 millimeter? do you think they'll give a shout out to Joe Rogan and say, yo, leave, leave that white boy alone? That's our white boy. What do you think? Is he, no, they're not going to, they're going to let him hang, huh? They're going to let him hang. I don't know. I think I know how this is going to be resolved. And it ain't going to be by Joe Rogan talking his way through it like this. There's nothing I can do to take that back. I wish I could. Obviously, that's not possible. I do hope that, if anything, that this can be a teachable moment. Because I never thought it would ever be taken out of context and put in a video like that. And now that it is, holy it's bad. Oh, Joe Rogan, you're so naive. That's why I knew he wasn't from Newark. You know, you look at his bio, it says from Newark, New Jersey. Get out of here. I know guys from Newark, New Jersey. North Ward, Central Ward, South Ward, Weak Wake, Valesburg. I've been through it all. Predominantly black city, lots of Hispanics, very few white people. 
unless they go to Rutgers University. Ain't that many white folks. So that's why I knew that Joe Rogan was not from Newark. And he wasn't the tough guy that he claims to be. Now, he may be a good martial artist. I don't know. I've never been in the ring with him, in the ring, outside of the ring. But I'll take other people's words that he's a very proficient martial artist. But he hasn't yet figured this out. What's going to happen? Can any of you figure out what's going to happen to Joe Rogan? Because everybody is talking about, well, he should have used it. He should have not used it. Come on. I don't want to sound like every other radio program when talking about Joe Rogan, especially like Sid Rosenberg and Bernard McGurk, who idolize him. Not here. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And by the way, has any white person survived who publicly used the N-word? Have they been able to regain their status? I'm thinking of one in particular. I really haven't heard from him since. Maybe some of you can read my mind. Who am I talking about? He was on a stage. He was dropping the N-bomb, and then all of a sudden, that's it. He was history. And yet at one time, you couldn't get enough of him. You couldn't get enough of this guy. 24 one That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Mike. Calling from New Rochelle, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Curtis, that's Michael Richards you're talking about. Very good, of Seinfeld. Yes. Your call screener told me i got to talk about Joe Rogan. With your permission, may I touch on a couple of topics you brought up earlier? Hold on a second. You mean to me, to that Ryan, who is doing such a good job, uh, that I was going to actually promote him from the JV because I have all the engineers, all the phone screeners here on the JV team because uh, they've been involved in acts of sabotage against this show, phones not working, uh, you know, me not being in queue, a whole bunch of problems. I'm getting down to the – Ryan, you actually were trying to censor Mike, uh, my stream of consciousness. I know you're used to doing the normal kind of show. I'm not going to blame you, Mike. This is a stream of consciousness. We may start with one subject, but you've heard me like for the last two hours. Haven't I gone in like a thousand different directions like a crazy person, like somebody with attention deficit disorder? Mike, we forgive Ryan. He's still a member of JV. He's got to make his bones. So you go in whatever freaking direction that your warped mind will take you. This is why I don't listen to Joe Rogan, because I'm too busy listening to you and Frank Morano. You spoke about Sonny Corleone before. But let me tell you, before I get into him, I believe the only things not for sale in Eric Adams' office are his lifetime membership in the After Hours Club and his high school bowling trophy. (laughs) Now, uh, Jimmy (laughs) Kahn. Very few people get that. But go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Jimmy Kahn. Do you... The only reason, one of the few reasons I still go into New York is to hit Patsy's Pizzeria over there on 116th and 1st. So down the block is where they filmed the scene where Sonny beats up Carlo in The Godfather. What was Carlo's real name? I'll tell you a story about him. Hmm. I know that, in fact, Frank Morano has interviewed Carlo on a number of occasions. And I'm telling you, there's a guy down in Florida. I can't reveal his real name. He just goes by the name Johnny Legit who says those are his favorite interviews of all time when Frank Morano uh, interviews Carlo. But go ahead, uh, educate us. Those are Italian Aesop's fables, okay? 
I was at an autograph show with a friend of mine, and I was about to get the book and have it signed by him until I saw that they stuck him right next to the bathroom, and he was signing garbage can lids. He was autographing garbage can lids. So I walked over casually, and I smiled, and I said, aren't you glad Sonny didn't hit you with a toilet seat? What was his response? He smiled. He was gracious. Oh, wow. But he was all decked out like that phony Johnny A. Like, these guys, they're the Pagliacci's of the Italian world. You look at them, and you got to laugh. Who the hell goes out like that? Well, you know, I'm going to have to uh, have a summit with Frank Morano because lately, Carlo, I, I thought it was going to be like uh, an endless trilogy with Carlo. He was like on every month, and then all of a sudden, he is like disappeared into the ether. But so you're saying that he was selling us wolf tickets, Carlo, in all those interviews? I, I think so. And I think that guy from Brooklyn that you brought up before, I think he's on the same wavelength. I think some of the stuff is credible, but then they inter intersect fiction with fact, you know? Hmm. And, and, and it's easy because you got nobody to dispute it around, so you can publish a book. Me and you can publish a book. If you notice, the guy says at the end of the article he had to print uh, some of the stuff in the, the book. The names were changed, and, you know, that, there's a chance it's fictitious. Well, I'll tell you what, Mike, on your honor, I will start self-publishing a book. You know, our own Dominic Carter has self-published a great book. One of the best of all time. I, I don't know why it hasn't received uh, more receptivity. Uh, he grew up in a household where there was uh, a lot of mental health issues with his mother. He, I actually went out and helped him sell his books uh, at a black uh, book fair in the shadow of Harlem Hospital on 145th Street. You should ask Dominic Carter to tell the story. It was like 148 degrees in the shade. I had my wool red beret on. I was dripping, dripping in sweat. And I saw the Nation of Islam was there, you know, the Fruit of the Loom boys with their, uh, with their <laughs> selling their Bialian bean pies, and they had their, their Pee Wee Herman bow ties on. And I went up and I talked trash to him. And Dominic is there with his wife, his son, his daughter. He said, please, Curtis, don't set it off here, man. You're, not, you're like the only white guy here, man. People who don't like the nation of Islam will turn on you because you're like, you're turning on the brothers. I said, don't, don't worry, Dominic. You take care of your family. You take care of your book signing. I'll take care of the nation. And screwy Louis Farrakhan. And they all heard me say that. It was like a riot ready to break out. You got to ask Dominic Carter about that. Talking about a guy who was schwitzing, you would have thought he was in a schwitz. He was so nervous. Don't worry about it. We'll talk to Frank Morano about that later. Again, nobody has yet touched on what's going to happen to try to resurrect like Lazarus, Rogan, so that he becomes a born-again civil rights advocate who admits that he was wrong for dropping the N-bomb, but he's seen the light. He's seen the light. Who's going to be able to accomplish that? I, I've already connected all the dots. Just like, what did I tell you two months ago? Exclusive here on the Curtis Lewis shows, the many shows of Curtis Lewis on the weekend, I said that Andrew evilized Cuomo in the compound, the Fredo compound out in Southampton, the uh, Cuomo compound, would soon strike vengeance against his enemies when his wartime consigliere, Joe Pococco, who would bend legs and stuff it in people's pockets all during his political career, learned at the side of Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo once he was released from federal jail, which recently he was doing six years for political corruption. They're all together now. 
the three horsemen. And guess what? Bill de Blasio is a gelding. They're not geldings. I tell you that much. You know how Cuomo is, man. He's like perving women. Chris Cuomo, perving women. Pococo, perving women. And now they're having revenge. Friends and foes. Who went down for the count, right? Look, look. In one week, the guy who was in charge of CNN, down. Why? Because of Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo went to AT&T and said, how can you fire me and not give me $18 million of severance when my protector, my Medici, Zucker, is guilty of the same thing? He ratted out the guy who made him at CNN and made the Cuomo National Network. By the way, Zucker would call and give advice to Andrew Evilized Cuomo before he would do those PowerPoint presentations every day. They won him an Emmy Award. And for so many of you suckers, I mean sickle fans, I mean groupies who liked the fact that he had a nipple ring. That he would flex from time to time. Some, you know, I would actually watch that. He would have on his, uh, not his dress shirt, but he would have on that. I forget what kind of a shirt you call that, like a polo shirt. Remember the polo shirt? I am the governor, you know, in, in language. And he would flex his nipple, you know, the way a weightlifter does, you know, who's preparing to go out there and flex, you know, in a contest, bodybuilding contest. And he had a, a ring to his nipple, and the girls would get all excited. Ooh, he flexed his nipple ring. Ooh, Cuomo, ooh, Cuomo. And now they're coming for friends and foes. I told you that two months ago. I said he would run against Tish James for attorney general. You said, impossible. He'll be in jail. It's impossible. He'll be criminally charged by one of these DAs for being a perv. They all decided not to prosecute. He's got a free lane now to run for state attorney general. And, yes, people have caught up with what I said two months ago, that you said I was crazy, impossible, it couldn't be. It was just uh, my constant obsession with Cuomo's. Yes, I do have an obsession with them because they don't die. They're like the guys, if you shoot them, you got to shoot them six times in the head, reload, shoot them in the body again, reload, shoot them. It's like... The zombies, they keep coming at you. And now he's coming for Tish James, and there will only be two in the Democratic primary. And with $16 million at hand, more money he can raise, he will out-fundraise Tish James. And he will beat her in the Democratic primary. He will beat her. And I know some of you said, well, Spitzer tried to come back. He tried to run for the city controller of the city of New York, and he was ahead in the polls. And then he lost to that Mama Luke, that Mashad Scott Stringer. Let me tell you something. Spitzer is not Andrew Evilized Cuomo. He doesn't have the lineage, the DNA. He doesn't have the chops. He doesn't understand revenge. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Wow, none of you have yet figured out how Joe Rogan is going to save his career of being paid $100 million by Spotify. And how he's going to be able to take it to a different level. He's going to have to humble himself. He's going to have to buck. He's going to have to bow. He's going to have to attend some lessons. 
it's going to be uh, a little difficult because he has such a humongous ego now, Joe Rogan, that he needs a crane to get him in and out of a room. But I'm surprised none of you have figured out his route to salvation, resurrection, and being able to avoid being labeled a racist because he used the N-word over and over and over. one 800 848 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, let's go to John calling from Riverdale, which is actually in the Bronx. Am I correct about that, John? Yeah, the way Bill's section. Yeah, the way Joe Rogan's going to save his career, he's going to be sitting on the half show. Oh, hold on, Sam. Hold, hold on. Pot John down. I don't know if it's John who's going in and out because he's a little horky-jerky, but I'm telling you, Izzy and Ryan, if this is a phone issue again, I'm going to break wild. And it ain't going to be on Verizon or AT&T. I'm not suggesting that it's your fault, this act of sabotage that's been going on here, but I didn't like the sound of that. Uh, let's, let's try John again. Maybe he reconfigurated. John, are you standing Yes, okay. uh, I'm back, and I have the problem solved. Okay, Joe good. Rogan's going to appear at the Super Bowl, Stupid Bowl halftime show with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and Eminem, and he's going to rap, and that's going to certify that he's back on Spotify when he's down with the brothers at the Super Bowl uh, halftime show. All right, you've used creative license, John, and I'm permitting all of you out there, no matter who you are, where you are, to use extreme creative license if necessary. But John in Riverdale, a.k.a. the Bronx, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. You see, this kind of radio requires that you think, you don't just regurgitate, that you actually have to connect the dots on this and try to figure it out. So, you know, it's not like a typical talk radio program. Ooh, 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 like a horse shack. Ooh, 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 pick me, pick me. I'm a sickle fan, Tony and Lackey. You're, you're, you're so totally right. I couldn't agree with you more. We don't do that kind of talk radio here. At least I don't. I want you to think. I want you to have a stream of consciousness. Come on, we've seen this before. White man in trouble, going down for the count. A hundred million dollars at stake. Spotify stock could end up doing a Zuckerberg, like for World Meta Peace. You remember, Ron, <laughs> Ron Artest, World Meta Peace. Can you, can you imagine if Zuckerberg actually renamed his company after Ron Artest, that kukulamunga from Parts Unknown, World Meta Peace, who remember when he finally won an NBA World Championship with the L.A. Lakers with Kobe Bryant? I think Shaq was still with him. He dedicated the victory to his psychiatrist. He said, without my shrink, this could never have been. He was absolutely correct. He was crazy in the Queensbridge projects, uh, the largest projects in uh, America, right in the shadow of the 59th Street, a.k.a. Queensboro, a.k.a. Catch Bridge. Why does the bridge have three names? It is beyond me. There are two sections to Queensbridge, both of them blood projects. But Ron Artest was God. He was the best basketball player to ever come out of Queensbridge. Now, what rappers came out of Queensbridge? You see, now I'm going to explore the reality of basketball with rap because there's synergy there. What great rappers, and when I say great rappers, in terms of uh, achieving success, were birthed and reared 
and made their bones, their fame, in the Queens Ridge Projects, the Blood Projects. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This could be the theme song for Team Cuomo here. But no, no, it's not Team Cuomo who will run against Tish Gaines for the New York State Attorney General slot. But let's kick it up there. Oh, Joe Rogan, you're in deep. You're a white boy, a cockasoy, a Caucasian persuasion, a snow bro, who thought that you were immunized. Your color, your complexion is not your protection. Not when it comes to dropping the N-bomb. And apparently he's dropped it, well, more than a dozen times. He's had a hundred different podcasts pulled by Spotify. Most of them have nothing at all to do with the N-bomb. They have to do with interviews that he has already done that were in the can that Spotify obviously now owns. And they don't involve doctors who disagree with Fauci. Uh, It it doesn't involve anti-vaxxers, anti-mandate people. It deals with the uh, former leader, McInnes, uh, of the Proud Boys. Uh, some of the other more reactionary right-wing leaders uh, originally in the movement here. All of those uh, podcasts have been removed by Spotify. If you're Joe Rogan and you're standing on top of the world as a free speech advocate, you're basically stripping his Christmas tree of all its ornaments. Now, he may decide, look, take whatever you want out of my library of podcasts. I don't care. I'm the $100 million man. It's all about cash money rules the world, right? Wu-Tang Clan, 36 chambers of death. Or is it? Or does Joe Rogan now self-destruct? Because he crossed that Maginot line and used the N-bomb over and over and over again. Let's go to Keith calling from Levittown. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Keith. Hey, Curtis, thanks. Uh, First time, long time. Uh, Good to be with you. Ah, Now, hold on a second. Hold on. Got to straighten Keith out. That's why I'm going to appeal to John Katsimatidis, owner and operator of our parent group, Rabbit Apple Media, uh, and naturally uh, talk show host in his own right with the uh, Cats Roundtable, and appeal that we purchase one of those old uh, Borscht Belt hotels that are no longer operational, maybe the Concord, maybe Grossinger's, maybe Brown's, so we can set up a re-education camp for callers um, in the summer. In either the Irish Alps, the Jewish Himalayas, uh, Sullivan County, the Catskills, uh, there are three things, callers, and I hope many of you call, but three things you should never say on the air to me or anyone else. How you doing? In my case, I've had better days. Uh, Never thank me for taking a call because I've been soliciting for you to call. I should be thanking you. And never say what Keith just said. First time caller, long time listener. Kabish, Kabish, Keith, Kabish. You got it. Okay. All right. We're straightened out here. All right, Keith. Well, you know, Curtis, uh, you know also that when we say how you doing, we don't really care how you're doing. That's just a regular greeting, and then I'm going to segue into what I had to say, right? That's very good. That's very good. Very good comeback. Oh. Very good. All right. Much obliged. Hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey fellow Brooklynite here. I uh, was born and raised as a kid, moved out to uh, Strong Island when I was about 14. But uh, my roots are still deeply there in the Ridge, Bar Ridge. I know you know it well. 
You expect me to react to that? I'm not from. I'm not. No, from, not at all. Just no, no. A, it's a, a, yo, it's I, another I neighborhood. I'm a Canarsie guy. guy, right? My yeah. my yeah, my that. roots are in Canarsie in East New York. Don't try to get me to be a Bay Ridge guy. All right. Well, I know you used to uh, admire some of the uh, partying and uh, dancing down there in the 70s, but I'm not going to say No, no, no. Uh, That's an excellent this? comeback. <laughs> you are right. 2000 Odyssey. How did you remember? Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was uh, 14 years old, uh, they were filming that. And, you know, like a lot of teenagers, curiosity peaked. And, you know, we went down there. Um, I grew up uh, in the 70s between 4th and 5th. And, uh, you know, you get your curiosity peaked, and, uh, you know, there were hundreds and then uh, thousands well, you of see, the, uh, I the got, indigenous I got uh, checking a, it out. Right. I got a few uh, years on you. I used to have yeah, my okay. platform uh, marshmallow shoes, my po- <laughs> polyester waffle weed flame retardant uh, <laughs> shirt uh, that should have been cotton. Shirts, oh, boy, and man. naturally, the bell-bottom pants. And I would hit 2000 Odyssey, the other clubs in Bay Ridge. And, you know, all the Gabons, all the Jadrules who would be there with their gals, the uh, Supreme Cougenettes, but yeah. none of them would dance, these guys. You know, they, they they didn't think it was manly to dance. So I'd be dancing with all the Supreme Cougenettes, and then I'd look over to Crazy Sal and Crazy Vinny and say, feet don't fail me now. I got to get through Dyker Heights. I got to get back to the Bell yeah. Parkway. I got to get to Canarsie before I end up in a body bag in Gravesend. Uh, you know what I loved about Bay Ridge, though? It was still at that time, it was uh, a, still a mixture of the Irish, Italian, and the Scandinavians, as you probably know historically. Uh, a lot of the Scandinavians who came down from Sunset Park and uh, Selvin Bay Ridge 100 years ago. Yeah, Keith, and, they, uh, uh, they, are the, they are the squareheads, the Norwegians. That's right. That's right. Lobscouse Boulevard, 8th Avenue. Yeah. They, they thought that Eric the Red and Leif Erikson discovered the New World. They had the uh, they had their parade every year there. Uh, they it, yes. Yeah. Sindamaya, the May 17th parade. Right. And my, my father, who was a merchant seaman 55 years, would take right. me when he was home to Bay Ridge to the annual parade, Lee Ferrickson, Eric Durrett, and he would say, they yeah. are the best seamen ever, the squareheads, because they would use the square, uh, the square ruler and figure out how to avoid going down to Davy Jones's locker. <laughs> I love the backstories. I love them. Well, that's the, you see, it's a stream of consciousness. It's not like, oh, Trump, good, bad, Biden sucks, the world is in trouble. Let's go to the next call. That is boring radio. Did you drop that? Did you drop him? He, he never answered the trivia. Is he? I'm disappointed in you. So, uh, so please, Mr. Bay Ridge, uh, if you can call back, 2000 Odyssey wants you to call back. Uh, he was trying to answer the trivia that I had uh, promoted of what world-renowned rap crappers came out of the Queensbridge projects. I'm going to have to give you a demerit point for that. Is he, uh, you know, you're a little too quick on the trigger finger. I don't know if that's your trigger finger you use for your nine, but, you know, it's like, we, we, you see, you, you, you're so not used to a, a caller reminiscing with a host uh, and actually entertaining, because this was entertainment, but education, uh, not just opinion. Oh, Biden sucks. Harris sucks. Trump is God. To the next caller. Oh, I agree. No. Uh, no, I agree. No, you couldn't be more hopelessly right. The AM, uh, Amen Chorus. That's bad talk radio. Bad talk radio. 
No one yet has figured out how Joe Rogan might have to save his career if, in fact, he gets no slack for using the N-word over and over and over. Let's go to Paulie all the way from Florida. Where in Florida are you calling from, Paulie? I'm calling from Seminole, Florida there, my friend. Well, in fact, I'll be down there three days this week. Uh, you know, I almost never leave New York City, especially after the lockdown and pandemic. But I've got to raise some campaign money for some of the bills that I accrued during my mayoral campaign. i got to somehow pay it off. Like, you know, I don't got two nickels to rub together. So I'm actually going to sample Florida for three days this week, Paulie, but not down by Seminole. Well, uh but if you're in town, well, you can call me up and we'll do it up. Anyway, uh, hey, my name's Paul, not Paulie. And uh, anyone who called me Paulie uh, got it got it straight from my mouth. I didn't even look him in the eye after that. Okay, I grew up on 93rd between K and L, Canarsie. You might remember me. I worked in Brown's Luncheonette on the corner and then uh, Zirkin's Coaching Butcher and uh, uh, played a little time on the Canarsie uh, Movie Theater. Hmm. Avenue L, huh? Yeah, 93rd. Yeah, now, A&L. what side of Avenue L were you on, the Lucchese side or the Gambino side, Paul? <laughs> I can't tell you that. I I think I recognize your voice, Paul. Let me tell you, I saw you once. We walked up to each other. We looked each other in the eye, and and uh, we turned away. And I never, I, I never seen you. I never spoke to you. Well, no, that's good because obviously I was showing you respect. Normally, if I felt that there was a problem and we were eye fornicating or mad dogging one another, I'd step to you, you'd step to me, and we'd have to settle it like men. <laughs> oh boy, I'll tell you, I wish you would have won. I'm, I'm really, I was fighting for you. I, I'll tell you this, Paul. Now, now you may have remembered because we're of the same generation in Canarsie. When we were growing up, there were four, uh, cent- excuse me, three centers of organized crime. We knew who the Lucases were, Paulie Vario, his crew, uh, straight out of Goodfellas, uh, Paulie Castellano. Uh, there was the Carrazzo brothers, the Gambinos. And then there was the uh, uh, there was the Thomas Jefferson Democratic Club at 92nd Street in Conklin, led by Mead Esposito, Stanley Fink, and Tony Genovese. They were as corrupt as the Gambinas and Lucchese's, right, Paul? <laughs> well, you met, you mentioned the testers. I, I knew those, Anthony, all those guys. All those. That, that was like a long, long, long time ago. Yeah, but... Uh, I'm, what, I'm 68 years old now. Right, well, we're, I'm 67. And, Paul, what people don't understand is a lot of people say, is it the environment or is it your family? Now, having uh, grown up uh, and played stickball, actually uh, being the mentor uh, to the two Testa brothers uh, and to Anthony Centaur, they would play stickball on 89th and J with me and our team there. And we would we would uh, play against 87th Street. You know, you would have competitions on all the streets. It never struck me that these guys would become stone cold killers. Uh, join yeah. the, the DeMeo crew, and then end up khashoggi guys at the Gemini Lounge. Now, our own Sid Rosenberg is going to be in a movie about the Gemini Lounge. And I told him, 
You're the Jewish guy. You should be Chris Rosenberg, the first guy to join Roy <laughs> DeMeo. Well, you're always trying to be an Italian guy. Yeah, you know, I got some Sicilian, and uh, uh, that's the way it is. But uh, I'll tell you, you know, you, you you made me cry the other night. You talked about PS 115. I went to Canarsie High School, and, and the guy was talking about Frank Marangello, the uh, coach on yeah. the uh, – on the sports team, yeah. Oh man, like I started to cry, and I said, "I got to call Curtis and tell him." Like I remember that. All that. I, I remember. And, uh, I remember uh, the coach there at Canarsie High School. I went to Catholic school, but he was the coach at Canarsie High School. The Chiefs—they're still called the Chiefs. And Bildersee, right? And Bildersee uh, and PS one fourteen. My cousin uh, Lenny Beans Bianchino went to PS one fifteen, but the coach of both the baseball team. And the football team, his son was a left-handed pitcher who I would have swore since I struck out swinging against him every level, <laughs> little league, uh, pony league, colt league. I was like a whirling dervish. I could not hit this kid. He had a curveball like Koufax that fell off the table. I think he made it uh, through the Baltimore Oreo ranks. I think he made it to the I, Oreos. I, I think his name was Mikey. Yes. Because I think I know who you're talking about. And, and he stood out. He, a lot of these guys, once they were good in sports, they stayed away from the wise guys because they knew, oh, man, that, that that would be it for their sports career. And I think, Paul, you can attest to this. Canarsie had the best and the worst, but it was a great place to grow up. Oh, wow. I was a, a handball player. I was an all-city champ. I beat Vinnie Gallo. And uh, he uh, he was I I don't know how I beat him I don't know how I beat the guy was like the best. Well, you know where best. where I played black ball was the Brownsville Boys Club across Linden mm-hmm. Boulevard the divide because you know when you cross Linden Boulevard feet don't fail me now the sun went <laughs> down and the brothers would tell you white boy it's time for you to get out of this part of town. Uh, and then you had to go to Brighton Beach. That's where you tested your ability against the Altacacas playing black ball uh, on the handball court. Yeah. Well, you preserve yeah. preserve the memories, Paul. You see, you get the, he, this a tough guy. This guy knew the testers and Anthony Santoff and the male and Chris Rosenberg. Stone Cold Killers, although they weren't that way when they were growing up. I know. I was there with them teaching them sick ball. And Sid Rosenberg wants to star in the Gemini Lounge where he'll do Khashoggi's. They killed over 50 people. They disassembled their bodies. They put them into plastic bags. And the next thing, they were in the Fountain Avenue dump. To make this guy cry, nothing would make Paul cry. But see, radio is the most intimate form of communication. You can touch people's minds, hearts, and souls, even those bad boys. I'm Dr. Max. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. See, it's my job. To connect all the dots for all of you, to take you uh, in the time machine back to the days that 
Well, maybe it's a little vague. It's a bit of a shadow. You're getting on in age. But I seem uh, at this point in my life still to have good memory recall. And I got to paint pictures. This is theater of the mind. This is the most intimate form of communication that men and women have ever created. Now, you want to give uh, Tesla the credit, the Serbian, or like I do, Marconi, because obviously I defer to the Italian. When it comes to radio, it doesn't matter. There's nothing better than this. And as John Katzmatidis, our owner-operator, who saved us from the scrap heap, uh, has acknowledged it's theater of the mind. And don't ever forget that. In fact, Joe Piscopo, I was listening to him earlier today, great broadcaster in his own right, doing the Sinatra show, the Ramsey Subaru uh, Sinatra show. He actually said that this night's show was great theater of the mind because he was playing broadcast clips of Frank Sinatra when TV first came about. And uh, it was magnificent. I'm no Frank Sinatra fan, as many of you know, because of his relationships to the Gambinos and organized crime. But I got to tell you, Joe Piscopo tonight was at his best. I could actually see Frank Sinatra dancing on that stage with Gene Kelly. Those were magnificent clips. And this is what we're able to do here at WABC. But let's go back to uh, Keith, who was unceremoniously dumped on his tuchus by Izzy in Levittown. Uh, home of Bill O'Reilly, by the way. And Levittown also exists in Pennsylvania and outside of San Juan, Puerto Rico. I'm assuming, Keith, you're in Levittown in Long Island. That is correct. Uh, you have the answer to the trivia that I threw out there of what degenerate rappers were from Queensbridge. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Naz from the Queensbridge houses. Yes. And remember, he was the adversary uh, of Jay-Z for many years. That's right. That's right. They were ba- and- the MC battles, uh, the DJ battles. They were uh, monumental and historic and put both of them on the map and made them a lot of moolah schmoolah. That is true. That is true. In the '90s, and uh, and listen, man. Let me confirm. Not that I, I'm in, I'm in my late 50s. I don't listen to that stuff. That's not my thing, unless it was the very early uh, rap of the late '70s, Curtis Blow, and whatnot. When rap was a little fun, a little more partying. But um, I am a retired CEO, City of New York, and uh, when you get around, go around, and start to learn different things, uh, you know, you hear and read things. But it's interesting how. Uh, as I said before, the backstory—it's the—it's um, the weaving, and the pitching and rolling of uh, uh, people and personalities and music genres that interconnect. So, I did find that uh, interesting. Yeah, no, so that no, was my response. No, I appreciate that, Keith. And uh, this is a learned experience on the radio because your traditional uh, cutout radio—you know—it's like cookie cutters. It's all politics all the time. You know, it's the same answers, the same callers. They just regurgitate. Uh, there was a study. University of Nebraska just did a study, and it's a, it's a bipartisan study because you don't think of the University of Nebraska as being liberal or conservative, in which they said constant listening and watching a political talk, only political talk, will make you nauseous, will give you migraines, will shorten your life, and you will become sick as a result of it. You're right, Curtis. Uh, it consumes you, and no matter which uh, persuasion. And I am a, a conservative guy, uh, but I also ha- I'm well grounded, and that's how I raised all my kids. And um, you know, when you hear something funny, my my father, you know, God rest his soul, 
he was a retired detective, city of New York, uh, back in the day. He got back on, and uh, he got on the force in 1957. But uh, I never heard one foul thing from him growing up, you know, about the streets of crime. Not one. And he was an awesome guy, you know, the, my my hero. Not one foul thing ever came out of his mouth about anyone or anything that he dealt with uh, on the streets. And those were tough times, you know, dealing with narcotics in the 60s and 70s. Is your uh, father still alive, Keith? Uh, negative. No, he passed uh, three years ago, just a couple of days before Christmas. Uh, but uh, I wish, he fought uh, a good fight. I wish uh, our new mayor, Eric Adams, could visit his gravesite and apologize to him and others of his generation uh, who were white cops. Uh, you know, he maligned them, called them crackers. Yeah, that was very uh, disappointing. And um, I I called it. I, I got a couple of nephews who were on the job, and, uh, you know, God help them. But uh, very disconcerting. Uh, morale, as you know, is uh, is in the sub-level. Uh, the hands are tied and handcuffed. And it's a multi-layered approach to try to uh, correct everything, uh, as you know. Um, but if the mayor, who's at the helm of the city of New York, could uh, lead that charge, I don't think he's going to do that. Uh, maybe get on uh, uh, the hoax, as I call her, uh, to recall or fire Bragg. Uh, and then it becomes uh, multi-layered uh, and leveled. Other people... Uh, who may not be genuine or authentic about it, jump on board because it becomes in vogue. And and, and motivation is so important, Uh, Keith. uh, Let me explain that Uh, Eric Adams, uh, he does the double dutch. Just when he raises everyone's hopes, he does something else to bring it all crashing down. I'll give an example. Day one. Uh, He went out to the 103rd Precinct in Jamaica. He said he wanted to elevate the mood of the officers who were going out um, in the uh, midday shift. And he went and he spoke at the uh, shape-up that Sergeant was there. moved over for Eric, and Eric uh, motivated them. And then talked about how he had gotten the living daylights kicked out of him by cops who had taken him in the basement when him and his brother was kids. Never told the cops the full story that... Uh, he was hanging out with a stripper uh, and a prostitute, uh, and then he and his brother did a home invasion of their pad because he was a steerer. He will never acknowledge that. Steering John's there and maybe getting a little shot of leg on the side, and uh, he felt he wasn't being paid appropriately. So rather than take it uh, uh, to maybe the guy who ran the strip parlor or the pimp, him and his brother decided, we can do a home invasion. And they got caught inside of her apartment, robbing the apartment, doing a B&E. And yet he wants you to remember that arrest for him getting his butt kicked by two white cops. He's got an obsession with white cops. And he says the story is that a black sergeant came down and stopped the beat down of him and his brother. And he realized for the first time... This is a situation where a black man has power over white guys, and I want to be just like that. Does anybody believe that crap? Is, I, is anybody out there street smart and knows that that never happened, that there's no documentation? He went to Spotford for a day and a half, and then his mommy came and got him out. This guy's not a street dude. He dresses in Ferragamos, custom suits. How do you afford that on a borough president's salary? Huh? A guy named Frank Carone bought him for him. Yeah, I know. And he's the chief of staff. Corrupt as the day is long. 
Let me tell you something. You buy the hype. He's a street dude. Eric Adams ain't no street dude. You're not a street dude when you wear custom suits and Ferragamo jammies. That's for sure. I'll go into more of this at a future date. But this guy, Caron, is already a hot mess. The feds are investigating the chief of staff. Brand new to the mayor of New York, Frank Caron. And where is he from? Canarsie, as Paul called up from Seminole in Florida. Yeah, Curtis, you know everything and all the bones and who buried them in Canarsie in East New York. That's true. Up next, I don't know everything about animal welfare, but my wife Nancy certainly does, and it is the most requested The most listened to of all the segments that I do on the weekend, which the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, uh, the analytics don't lie. And you'll find out next by listening to us kick it on a wide variety of animal issues exclusive here to WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents... Curtis's art from bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. It's our final hour of a weekend of always broadcasting Curtis morning, noon, and night. And then, uh, right before one o'clock, I pass over the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to Frank Morano, who will then conduct the other side of midnight for the next five mornings, one to five. And boy, he broke the news story of uh, how Comrade Bill de Blasio, the gelding, the Italian stallion who is a gelding, because of the way the new maps are drawn, uh, is uh, prospecting running against Nicole Maliotakis. And I've uh, studied those maps uh, very thoroughly. Uh, And believe it or not, he could become the congressman of Staten Island. Oh, my God. Well, let's talk information about animals now. It is the most listened to segment of the many segments that I do here at WABC, our animal welfare segment. And once again, coming to the uh, microphones, uh, my lovely wife, Nancy, who is uh, not only an animal uh, uh, welfare expert, but an animal uh, rescuer uh, par excellence. Uh, thanks for joining us again, Nancy. Thank you for having me on again, Curtis. And even though we're going down to Florida for three days because I got bills to pay from our mayoral campaign, they got to get paid or (laughs) I could be in the dentist prison. Uh, I understand you've already mapped it out where you're going to be following cat colonies uh, all throughout uh, Florida. Is this correct? There are, uh, yes, uh, the the location, there's certainly a lot of, um, wildlife and feral animals, so it, it'll be a, a great opportunity to see some of them. Just a sidebar, the last time we were in Florida was for the uh, Guardian Angel Convention at the Hard Rock in Hollywood. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a regional convention uh, long before the lockdown and the pandemic, and I remember you insisted that while we were there, we go to Fort Lauderdale because you wanted to see not the the clubs, not the restaurants, not the bars, but you wanted to see the animal shelter, and we spent time there. Oh yeah, I, I was. I wanted to see how it differed from the setup in New York City. Um, so uh, that was actually pretty cool to see that. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you know, it still has the the kill policy, which is not good. But I was surprised the accommodations for the animals were incredibly better. Uh, much more space, uh, 
the animals could actually interact with the outdoors. You know, they had windows. I mean, it, it was really uh, like a, a world away from what you see here in New York City. Well, in fact, next week uh, when uh, we return on air in the weekend, uh, this very hour time slot of our animal welfare segment, you'll be able to report on uh, all the work that's being done in the uh, fastest growing state other than Texas in the nation, which now has so many more residents from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, who are fleeing there. Yeah, and, and the good thing is I won't have to wear a mask. So I'm looking forward to that. That's for sure. But from Florida, where everyone flees to, to Maine, which people are fleeing away from, not far from the Bush compound, Kenny Bunkport, there is a woman there who uh, has been hoarding cats and apparently got caught the first time with 60 cats on her premises. Uh, you'll have to explain what happened to her. But now she's been caught again with the same number of cats. Yeah, so um, in, two th- in uh, 2019, um, there was a woman who was cited for um, hoarding cats in, like a, in bad conditions. So this actually went to the uh, local courts there, and the judge had ruled that she didn't actually violate any um, standards of care. So the majority of the cats uh, were ultimately returned to her. Now, so I guess as, as a consequence of that, they do follow up visits to the house to make sure like okay are you um you know how are you taking care of them now and on this last visit they found uh 63 cats alive but then 31 were dead so you know and then the majority of the ones who were alive they have like you know degrees of, of different issues so now finally they are taking these these cats away and you know putting them hopefully up for adoption in some variety but it just goes to show that you know, some of the, fo- I mean, obviously th- this is good because it shows at least a follow-up of, like, the initial sort of, um, you know, visit, you know, made sure that, okay, now these cats will ultimately be taken from her. But it's just an odd thing that in 2019 they, they found that she was okay with them when clearly there was an obvious issue. I mean, just the number of the cats. I mean, you know, depending on the space she had, but... You know, they clearly didn't make the right call the first time around because as a result of it, I mean, uh, at least the 31 uh, dead cats they found, you know, suffered and who knows how many more. Now, I've met many, uh, it's mostly women, but sometimes men, uh, who could fit into that classification of being called an animal hoarder. It's mostly cats. What do you think it is within their thought process that has them taking into very very uh, frugal homes, uh, you know, uh, feeble homes, that many animals and thinking that they're going to be able to take care of them? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, again, without knowing the psychology of each person, my assumption would be that it really starts with a good intention. Um, If you see cats who are outdoors or you see cats that maybe otherwise would go to a kill shelter, it would be probably the, the logical thing to think. Well, if I have space, I can give them a home, they'll have friends, but, you know, just the managing the upkeep of as many cats as you have, I mean, you know, that can get, you know, you know, really out of someone's reach uh, quickly. And it, you have to start recognizing at some point when you've taken on more than you can handle. But again, like if you, you know, imagine this person who is the hoarder 
and they wake up the next morning, they walk outside, they see a cat, you know, sitting in the cold. I mean, in their head, they might be thinking, oh, I'm doing a good thing. Otherwise, it's going to be outside and it's going to die. But, you know, really the next step is to care for it. And, you know, and, and then again, I, 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 my guess would be a lot of the people who wind up in these bad situations also don't have, um, you know, like uh, close people with them because someone would have seen this and someone would have told them, okay, look, you're you're taking on a little more than you can handle. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this. So it could just be the combination of uh, being on their own where they don't really have that perspective. Now, you know, during the mayoral campaign uh, where the uh, cats that we have in our uh, simple apartment, 328-square-foot studio apartment on the Upper West Side, uh, we had as many at one time as 19 uh, many of our critics uh, would come and say to me, what, are, what is your, your wife the cat lady? Is she a hoarder? What differentiates people who have lots of animals in their home from those who are considered hoarders? Well, I mean, again, I, I think um, in our situation, it was a little bit of the perfect storm of the, uh, the coronavirus, you know, uh, you know, with me then working from home and um, the, the shelters being closed down. So, uh, they weren't having open public adoption, so there was a lot more of a need for it. Um, the thing is, though, obviously our protocol is when we bring cats in or we rescue them or we adopt them from the kill list, um, you know, to basically find good homes for them as, you know, within as reasonable amount of time as possible. So I think there was just a basic slowdown in that. But, I mean, thankfully we've been, um, you know, on the right track with with finding and getting good homes for the cats. And I'm sure that, you know, we'll continue to do so, you know, aside from the ones that are just ours, like our permanent cats. But, uh, I mean, again, I think, um, you know, yeah, it's easy to, to look at it that way, but obviously the whole intention is to bring them in and then to, to vet and find good homes for them. But I think that there has been just this incredible amount of circumstances where it's been very difficult to do so. And with as many animals being relinquished to the shelters, you know, it's it kind of just became a little bit, um, you know, hard to just sit by and, and let them, you know, die in the shelters, honestly. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. A brand new list has just been published. It is the five dogs that it is cruel to breed because health issues, these uh, dogs will end up facing health issues if they are bred. Uh, who are these dogs, and what are they talking about health issues? Well, okay, so uh, I mean, there's, so they're specifically now calling out five brands. Now, this started in Norway, where there was a ruling about two specific types of, um, you know, pretty much overbred types of dogs, um, bulldogs. I think anyone who knows that type of dog. They have very consistent lifelong problems because of um, the way that they've been bred and they have a lot of trouble breathing. And again, I'm not sure how much people know about the issues when they get the dogs. I think there's a lot of um, stuff that needs to be done at the front end. But now what's happening is um, there's a little bit of revisiting of, oh, are there other types of breeds that we should be concerned about having or breeding? Now, first of all, breeding is not a great idea to begin with, but um, you should try just obviously the, the shelter pets, but included on the list now are ones that I think most people would not consider, um, you know, ones that you shouldn't have, like golden retrievers. I mean, I grew up with a, a golden retriever, um, German shepherds. I mean, you know, and now they're just citing these um, sort of minuscule types of ideas like, oh, well, you know, the number one animal, uh, dog that has this 
rare type of cancer, so therefore you, it would be cruel to breed it. I don't really think that's a reason that can possibly justify not having that type of dog or trying to take that dog out of existence. But, you know, certainly it's it's not a road you really want to go down. I can see the overbreeding or the weird, like, crossbreeding they do, and, and then basically these designer dogs that they're making – there's a reason you don't want to do that because you're starting to play around with the genetic composition and there are actual bad circumstances. But just because an, uh, a, a specific breed has a predisposition toward an ailment later in life, I mean, I don't see any reason why that would make sense. Well, the Biden family would take great umbrage to this because uh, they love German shepherds. They've had uh, a number of German shepherds uh, in their life. In fact, uh, they've just uh, gotten another German shepherd puppy. Uh, in addition to the adult German Shepherd that they have. So- you know, and, and in terms of breeds of dogs, so, you know, German Shepherds, obviously, and Dalmatians, I mean, they're they're so good with, um, you know, children and, and families and other pets. So, I mean, the combination of this and then also trying to maybe ban certain breeds like, you know, um, pit bull mixes oh, because of their aggression. I mean, at some point, I think you can find something you know, to single out with every single breed of animal. And so, again, I don't really think it's something that should be uh, focused on this way. I I think it's kind of a bad thing to do. And the only, like, the only suggestion I would have, or the only thing I would say is on point with it, is when you're making these designer dogs, like you're you're really messing with their genetic composition, then they wind up having lots of times, um, you know, specific health ailments that, you know, wouldn't otherwise have occurred. You know, you mentioned German Shepherds, but at the time I was growing up, considered even a more fierce protector of property, a fierce protector of commercial property and residential property with Doberman Pinchers, and you almost never see Dobies anymore. Uh, Do you have any answer for that, why a breed that was so common uh, in providing security was considered fierce? Nobody wanted to go into an area where they knew a Doberman was, a Dobie, as we would call it, and now you almost never see Dobermans. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I think there definitely is, though, um, the, the pit bulls and the pit bull mixes. There's such a prevalence of them now that I think that, you know, that could sort of explain why you see a little bit lesser of other types of breeds. Uh, so, again, it could be that, you know, some of what they call the, the, the mixed breeds, I mean, there could be Doberman Pinscher with it, you know. Again, so it's it's hard to say, but I think there. I, I agree with you too. I don't. I don't hardly see Doberman Pinschers Pinschers either. Uh, my grandma, I think I've mentioned already. I mean, she always that was always her her dog of choice, and it was always a stray dog that she found that was a Doberman Pinscher. So I think for some reason there certainly was a time in Brooklyn, especially where. There was a lot of stray dogs running around. I mean, it, you wouldn't see that anymore. I mean, you see stray cats. I don't think you really see stray dogs anymore. So I'm not sure what accounts for that. That's a good question. You would have packs of dogs. In fact, they were called junkyard dogs. They'd be out in the lots, uh, the junkyards themselves, the marshland, fierce at times. Uh, you know, they'd be foaming at the mouth. So right away, you just assume they had rabies. So you ran for the hills. <laughs> But generally, when you looked at property, uh, property in high-crime areas, and when it said, beware of dog, they would actually at times put pictures, you know, painted pictures of yeah. Dobermans on it, so you knew it was a Doby that you were going to face <laughs> when you went over that fence. 
And and those are big, um, fierce, like very like muscular looking dogs. So I think they're just intimidating from the mo- the moment you see them. Now I want you to put on your Esquire hat since you uh, passed the bar. You are a lawyer, many years. You've been in criminal court, civil court, and you're an e attorney. But there is a uh, civil uh, court case in which a Manhattan man refused to return to his friend, uh, the uh, friend's dog. And as a result, a lawsuit resulted from this. But this is happening increasingly, not only between husbands and wives who break up, families who go in different directions, and even amongst friends. Could you explain this uh, lawsuit and why these are becoming more and more common? Uh, well, yes. Yeah, so this particular lawsuit, um, the woman, uh, she was going uh, studying abroad for a graduate program, and supposedly she had one of her friends who lives in um, in the city watching this dog during that time. So it was supposed to be, you know, a temporary type of situation. And I believe because of COVID, um, there was a lot of restrictions that were placed on travel, so it was a little bit longer. But according to um, according to her, she paid all the expenses for the dog, so she really is just trying to show that, oh, he was supposed to be more or less babysitting this dog while I was gone. But what it doesn't indicate is is how long a period of time that she was gone. And so, you know, it goes into her having this um, very close relationship with the dog. Oh, we bonded. But, again, it, it, there's a lot – I mean, these are very particular types of issues, right, because – uh, on a basic level, you look at it as a, I mean, unfortunately, animals are viewed as property. So at most, you know, um, I think that the uh, the woman who's suing to get back her dog, she probably will just be awarded um, a monetary um, amount, like, you know, the, the fair value of what this dog costs, which is, but, you know, again, so she's trying to prove this relationship. But again, if she was gone for, say, a year or two or three and maybe she only had the dog for a few months. If you're looking at really like what's in the best interest of the dog, uh, he, I mean, I'm sure this dog absolutely has bonded with, you know, this couple, this family, there's another dog in the house. I mean, so it, it starts to become probably an unwise thing to remove this dog from the the home that it now pretty much considers like its family. So if you're really trying to look at what the best interest of the dog is, I mean, I think that would be the context context to look at it in as opposed to it was mine and you were just watching them for a little while and I want it back. Like, you know, I mean, maybe the, the dog's already moved on and bonded with a new family, so maybe it's not the best thing to take this dog out of the home. Uh, on the line, uh, my wife Nancy, animal welfare activist and animal rescuer par excellence. Uh, we're taking your calls on any animal-related issues uh, in our Animal Welfare Hour, exclusive to WABC, 1-800-848-9222, that 1-800-848-WABC. On the matter of lawsuits being filed, whether it's friends, whether it's a husband and wife, whether it's families, I noticed that just like in family court, Judges might rule in favor of one party against another party in terms of, okay, you end up with the dog, but you have to give visitation to your friend. <laughs> now, that's happening increasingly. Boy, that, that's that got to be a little rough. That Yeah, that sounds like a, a bit of a formula for disaster because, I mean, again, right, if the, if the people couldn't get along and they don't want to be together and now you're sort of forcing that issue – and then plus, I don't think it's, 
a wise thing to do for the animal as well because I mean to say that okay they if they're they're choosing to to sort of award the the pet to one party uh, I mean again I I just think it's that the the animal can go on with one member of the family and be fine and maybe you don't want to have a them kind of going back and forth. I don't. I mean, again, it's it's not like a child where they really understand the concept. It could actually be more difficult, and especially you're talking about a, a relationship that wasn't working in the first place. I mean, there could be a lot of uh, negativity associated. There could be pet napping. There could be. I mean, who knows? <laughs> like, I think there's a. It's a little more complicated. Now, uh, from uh, domestic disputes involving uh, whose animal this is going to court. Uh, there seems to be a situation engulfing the Federal Wildlife Services, a plan that's being put into place to deal with cattle in national forests. Well, first off, I didn't even realize there are cattle in national forests. Can you explain how this all came about? So apparently there's, and, and, and this is sort of a funny term, I never heard of this before, so feral cattle. So uh, on the, um, the national uh, forest grounds, um, I, I think what ha- what's happening is they permit uh, pe- um, like farmers or like you know they permit grazing on the lands, but now there's also a degree of for you know apparently like for decades um, what what's considered feral cattle you know just that don't belong to anybody, and they're saying that oh well now there are, there's too many cows on the land, too many cattle they're they're affecting the environment they're having an um, adverse effect on uh, the wildlife, like, you know, the basically the overall environment. So since, again, and this is like another example of them dropping the ball for decades, and now that they're trying to um, cull the population, what they've decided to do is, uh, it's pretty horrific. They're just going to, um, you know, from planes above, from aircrafts above, they're just going to start uh, randomly shooting these cattle. So th- this is in an attempt to bring the population down now. Uh, the reason why this won't work, and this is like the same reason why it doesn't work with any feral population, like uh, cats is a perfect example because when people want to, they don't like the cats being outside. And, you know, they, they think, oh, well, if I just get rid of these cats out here or I, you know, call the the shelter to pick them up, it's like, oh, or they poison them, sadly, which is what a lot of the, you know, people who don't want them there will do oh, I got rid of the problem. It's like, no, you don't, because right away the other rest of the population that's, you know, waiting in the wings just, you know, now takes over the area. So to think that you're going to actually address the overpopulation by this slow plan of taking out a few, well, okay, well, everyone else you don't, you know, take out, they're going to continue to procreate and populate. So this is a plan that clearly has no end and will just continue to go on and on. So, and again, without having any oversight over it, they're, you know, whoever's going to be making money off of, you know, a sort of implementing this plan, they're never going to have any incentive to say, oh, it's really not working the way it should. So th- this could be something that, you know, winds up, they say, oh, it's going to take a few years to to resolve this situation. Well, it took decades to make it happen, and they're saying a few years. Well, I don't think that's even, po- I don't even think that's possible. I think this would be something that would be continuing for decades. You know, this brings us back on the time machine in the 1800s. Uh, men and women would be on uh, railways uh, that had been uh, built from the east to the west. It took years. Uh, the Irish would uh, build the railroads uh, going uh, west. 
The Chinese would build them going east. Many of them died in the process or got horrifically injured. But once the uh, railroads were linked, oftentimes the parties would shoot out the window at the buffaloes and the bisons that were grazing. Uh, just shoot them for sport, you know, just so or they claim to cull the herd. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the buffaloes and the bisons would not stampede. They wouldn't all run for safety. You could shoot one buffalo. The buffalo goes down, and the other buffaloes would continue to graze. Then they would shoot the second buffalo, the third buffalo, the fourth buffalo, and the carcasses would just rot out in the sun. And it was done for sport, not even for the meat, not even for the leather, not even for clothing. It well, seems and, and, like and, you know, and this is another argument that um, the the people who are opposing this are um, you know trying to bring up that by just randomly shooting them and having the carcasses around, now what you're going to do is you're going to invite in the coyote population. And again, this is you know this is a, this constantly repeats itself. This idea that uh, man thinks that they can control the natural environment, which they can't. I mean, you know, this this happened in Australia not too long ago, too, where, oh, the feral cat population, they started dropping down uh, poisonous food so that the cats would eat them and and, uh, die, which, again, it isn't really going to handle the population as it is, and now they're having the problem with being overrun by rats. So everything is interrelated. So every time one segment of the animal population gets targeted, it just gives rise to another element. So I think there, you know, there has to be some more logic put into these plans of action that they're trying to do. And this is just completely idiotic beyond being just completely cruel. It makes no sense. It's not going to accomplish its purpose. And again, it's just completely cruel to do that. Well, it's interesting because in town for her lawsuit, finally in court against the New York Times, for defamation and slander is the former governor, former vice presidential candidate for the Republican Party, uh, Sarah Palin, uh, who has been ostracized uh, by the city. In fact, uh, Eric Adams said she's public enemy number one because she's not vaxxed. <laughs> so, you know, it's sort of like wherever Sarah goes, of course, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, people are warned, stay away from her, except Ron Duguay, the great New York Ranger, I mean, GQ man, seems to have found a love relationship with her. But remember, one of the features about Sarah Palin when she was governor is that in order to cull the herd of wolves, the wolf packs in Alaska, uh, they would allow hunters, including the governor at that time, Sarah Palin, to go up in helicopters and just to shoot wolves indiscriminately. Their carcasses would lay there in the snow or lay there in the tundra until they felt they had sufficiently culled the herd. I mean, again, it's just it's it's very disgusting behavior. I I don't know what else to say about it. it. And there are methods which you can implement if you're trying to be, um, like I said, have an actual plan of action, which would include uh, sterilization plans, which you, you which you actually can do and are possible. It's just that would be the next step. No one wants to go that next step. They don't want to expend too much effort. And I think it just comes down to animals being consistently not prioritized there's no concern there's there's no thought process about you know this is a living creature oh what happens if you you know uh kill the the mother and then there's all these little babies like there's no like i said there's just no compassion whatsoever and that's a, a bad sign in society when you have zero compassion for living creatures
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then there was a piece that really touched anyone who read it. It was about do animals understand what it means to die? What were the conclusions? Well, yeah, so um, it, it specifically was, it was focusing on chimpanzees. And obviously there's, it, there's such a close correlation with humans and chimpanzees genetically. And uh, the conclusion was, yes, they do. And what was, uh, what was like an interesting subset of this story was that uh, based on that, now, you know, chimpanzees have been used in medical research for so long in the United States. And at some point, um, maybe like 10, 15 years ago, they started to say, oh, well, you know, we don't want to use them, you know, like this little sort of compassionate element. Oh, we should stop using them, like stop breeding them, because this is what the um, uh, National Institute of Health was doing, actually breeding the populations to, to continue to use them for research. Well, as of 10 years ago, they officially don't use them for the testing they did, right? So they served their purpose. Um, normally, when they're no longer uh, useful for scientific research, they just euthanize them. But they could use lots of breeds of animals, lots of types of animals. But the chimpanzees got a specific exception because of their close correlation to uh, uh, humans. But the only problem is, um, at this point, 10 years later, half of them still remain in the labs because they didn't take the next step to figure out how to actually get them out. So now it's even more of a, a cruel irony that they've been freed, and yet they remain prisoners in the laboratories, and they don't have a plan of action for them, and they're not getting them out. And, you know, they, they can live in captivity anywhere from 30 to 40 years. So depending upon the age of these chimpanzees uh, when they stop doing the – when they actually put this into place, I mean, they could be living – 20 more years in a cage and again having been tested on i mean i'm sure there's if they didn't make a plan for getting them out i'm sure there's no plan for really addressing their medical needs who knows what's going on with them given that they were tested on so this is this is something that's really disturbing again um and i i mean there needs to be a push to get them out i mean i don't know if it's that people can write to their local representatives and tell them we need to make a you know make this a priority i mean this could be something that you know, could be done uh, through uh, a push through legislation, a push by some of the uh, political representatives, because I think it's something easy to get behind. It's such an obvious issue that's already been decided. They already made this, you know, choice to to free them. And, you know, when you see them, the the places where they're now existing um, in their, you know, sort of new homes, you know, they're they're being cared for, you know, they're able to be outside. So half of them have gotten out, but half of them still remain, and you know th- that needs to they need to free the rest of them. So it's like triple life without parole. They don't execute them, they don't euthanize them, but they live in a cage the rest of their life, even though there are no longer experiments that are being conducted and, on them. And and then when you think about the conclusion of this story, right? Do animals understand what it means to die? I mean, I can't imagine that there's any other thought going on in their head. They have no interaction with other animals they have no stimulation they have no even human interaction at this point as as crazy as the interaction they initially had was they're just sitting in cages like this is horrible this is really horrible our number is 1-800-848-9222 that's 1-800-848-9222 before we go to the phones 
the final story of this early morning animal welfare segment exclusive to WABC is about parrots and one particular <laughs> parrot who apparently in New Zealand, the land of Kiwis, is a kleptomaniac. Can you explain that? Yeah, so there was a family that was uh, traveling, uh, visiting in like a remote part of New Zealand, and they had their their phone on, like the GoPro phone, and they were trying to record this like beautiful type of wild parrot. So they positioned the phone on the, the ledge, and, you know, of course, because they're, they are like little uh, kleptomaniacs, they grabbed the phone and they flew off with it. So it actually is a, a really amazing visual to see directly from the the parrot's uh, <laughs> viewpoint, like gliding through the mountains. And, you know, and then eventually when the two birds, they land, you see the, the parrot trying to uh, break into the phone. So, again, I, my assumption is they, they thought it was like a food source of some sort. And then once you couldn't get anything from the phone, just, like, wind up leaving it behind. But it's like uh, raccoons. You go to sleep, you're camping. Uh, and if you're not aware, if you leave any food out, uh, they're like kleptomaniacs. They come r- rampaging, rummaging through the campsite. Uh, they take anything uh, that they can get their jaws on. They don't eat it all there. They take it uh, back to their own encampment. They basically yeah. are like uh, looters. They're That's looting when, your campsite. When you, when you go camping, like the uh, the actual suggestion is that anything you have that's uh, food uh, food related, you put it in like little bags, uh, containers, and you hang them uh, with like a string from like a tree branch. This way, they're not on ground level because that's the only way to keep them away from anything that might be like scrounging to get it. I got to tell you, this city boy for us going to the country, man, going to Bear Mountain. Uh, there used to be, uh, you would take uh, right near where uh, uh, the boats uh, leave on the West Side Highway uh, that take you around Manhattan, uh, the cruise line boats. Uh, there used to be the boat that would go once uh, a week, uh, excuse me, once a day up to Bear Mountain. Uh, what I did was rather than take the boat up to Bear Mountain, I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember that. It was advertised frequently on TV. Uh, I took my uh, 10-speed English racer. With two of my friends, we got all the way up to Bear Mountain. We had our food, right, uh, all assembled. Uh, we were in our poop tent. And then all of a sudden, we woke up in the morning, and the raccoons had raided the camp. <laughs> I mean, they had taken everything, everything. We starved. Yeah. <laughs> there was no food. And we were in the well, middle of nowhere in the Bear Mountains. Well, at least you, you learned that lesson pretty quickly then. Hell Yeah. <laughs> The raccoons were, like, unbelievable. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to the phones. It's uh, Benjamin, who's calling all the way from the land down under Australia that you had uh, mentioned. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour on WABC, Benjamin. Yeah, hi, Curtis and Nancy. Yeah, I was listening to what you're saying about, like, killing the feral animals in Australia. I'm not an expert as Nancy is, but I think um, there's a lot of really weak animals in Australia just by nature. You know, like little. Um, I've run over one before in my taxi cab, like a a little possum. It's kind of like a raccoon. Um, and uh, so those feral cats, they they're alpha predator. There's nothing that in the nature around them that can um, stop them. Um, so I think that's why they just go and say, just go kill them all. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, so, like, um, in terms of what they do here with the the feral cats, 
the problem is without being able to sort of address that, um, like the whole population in theory, you know, when you have a few remaining still, they procreate so quickly. So it's like if you take care of it now, but then it'll just it'll just resume itself anyway. So I think I think that's the point. So I think it, what would be great for them if they did the actual like spaying and neutering now that would be a, a massive undertaking given that you know it's like sort of been the population's been growing rampant for so long but it does work and so i've seen that i mean you know in all different countries throughout the world so it's like that would be the the better way to do it and then you know then once you do that obviously they're not constantly making more animals and then they're not competing with each other so it, and then eventually uh, they just you know, they um, sort of uh, uh, die off of old age because they're not procreating. So that's really the way to, like, ultimately address the problem. So, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, it's I think it's like for a long time when, you, when they drop the ball and they don't address it, and then it's like a last-minute sort of resort, and it's just a cruel thing, and it also doesn't work. That's the problem. Now, Benjamin, a uh, question. I've seen uh, some of the fields that originally uh, had uh, a lot of feral cats, they uh, euthanized them, and then they ended up with uh, piles and piles of rats. Uh, what did they end up doing with the rats in the fields of Australia? Well, we had a really big plague here about four or five months ago. Um, that was in the news. It was a really big deal. And so it became like an administration thing because a lot of the local farmers, they wanted to use a kind of poison called bromide, which is um, can end up getting washed in the waterway and it will kill fish. And, yeah, so it just is really complicated. Like, um, it, those are really complicated issues. There's a, the longest fence in the world, I think, is in Australia to stop rabbits. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's just a really in-depth topic. There's a lot to say about it. Well, yeah, uh, Benjamin, uh, in a future program, we'll bring up the problem of what they call jackrabbits in the fields of the West, uh, in the United States, uh, in the outback, in Australia, and so many other places around the world. But that's the power of WABC. We were talking, uh, and this gentleman is listening, and he hears Nancy refer to how the Australian government decided to eliminate their feral cats by euthanizing them all, and as a result then had a plague of rats. And you notice how Benjamin called all the way from Australia, Nancy. That is so fantastic. I love it. Well, that's what our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, uh, wants to do. Uh, We're already somewhat a worldwide network, because even with a WABC app, uh, you could hear it crystal clear if you were in Melbourne, if you were in Sydney, if you were in Perth, if you were in Kabul in Afghanistan, if you were in Baghdad in Iraq. Uh, the stream, you could hear it on the stream, clear as crystal on your laptop. And then obviously with the other elements of technology, there's no doubt about it. WABC can become the first ever worldwide radio station. And that's proof positive. Benjamin, Benjamin just called up within seconds of you talking about how the Australian government eliminated its all of its feral cats by poisoning them, only to then have a plague of rats, which almost was like in biblical-like portions, like when we saw uh, Moses confronting the Pharaoh in Egypt, and one of those plagues was rats. And it, and it shows how connected everyone in the world is. I mean, it's such a similar problem. It just looks a little different, but... All across the world, it's the same same thing. 
All right, let's go to the phones, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Peter in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour, exclusive to WABC, Peter. Yeah, how you doing, Chris? I live in uh, in Oakland Gardens, uh, but I grew up in Cypress Hills. I'm a 1967 graduate of Franklin K. Green. I think that's a school you're aware of. Well, you know what the acronym stood for, Fun, uh, Laughs, and No Education. Yeah, that 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 sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and your point. Uh, I used to say LSMFT Lane students make fine tramps, but that's another story. Yes, yes. And what question did you want to ask? Well, I was so wondering about veganism. Uh, I've become like a more or less vegan over the last couple of years, and it had to do with a lot of things. One was health. But the other is that, uh, uh, you know, I, I read about, like, uh, in Asia, eating dogs. And I'm a dog lover. I had I had dogs my whole life. Uh, you know, I only when I came to this uh, co-op, I had dogs when I was married, but uh, I'm not married anymore. And uh, and now that the co-op, I can't have a dog, and uh, which is uh, really bad. Uh, my, my daughter has a dog, which I refer to as my grandson. <laughs> and but but uh, you know I, that's where it started. But uh, I'm wondering how, what your opinion is. Are, are you at least vegetarian, or, uh, or what's going on? Because I think that uh, you know, like uh, the whole animal industry is really cruel. Nancy. Well, I think he was asking you. I mean, I am a vegetarian. Yes. All right, um, and, uh, and yeah. you've slowly started to wean me in that direction. Uh, in my last debate against Eric Adams, who was uh, running for mayor at the time, he is now our mayor, uh, I was asked, and he was asked to uh, compliment each other because we had beaten each other up. He complimented, really, you about uh, your rescue of the cats uh, and your uh, maintenance of the cats. And then I, uh, I credited him because he had diabetes, he was going to lose his sight. He had a sort of cathartic moment where he either changed his diet, the diet he had been raised on, which unfortunately for a lot of people of color uh, leads to diabetes, leads to loss of vision. And he made a dramatic change and became a vegan. And as a result, uh, a dramatic change in his entire physical look. He, he used to be a fat guy. Uh, you could tell that he was slow. He was lethargic. And then suddenly he became a vegan, and he was like, "Bing, bing, 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 ricochet rabbit." Yeah, I think um, with any any of these types of changes, it's it's so much of a habit. So you you grow up with something, and once you get out of the habit of having it, I mean, it's just you have to just really make a conscious effort. But then once you do, I mean, I, I think it's just you you really don't ever go back. So um, you know, to the caller's point, uh, for health reasons. I mean, I think there's a number of ailments that have clearly already been attributed to eating meat. And in, in part, I mean, besides obviously the cruelty of the animals, um, the way that they have these sort of, a, you know, for lack of a better way, I don't know, it's like corporate sort of animal farms. These animals are not healthy um, in so many instances, and there's very little oversight. I mean, you know, their job would be just to have as much, um, you know, meat to sell to the public so whether it happens to be a sick animal or an animal that's been 
made bigger by, you know, use of steroids. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I, I don't think there's a big concern about what they're putting on the plate. They're just trying to sell the food. So I think that that does become a little bit of an issue. So that that's why, you know, some of these um, more sort of conscious-minded um, companies where, oh, well, they're, they're you know, free range. Yeah, like I mean, I get where they're trying to go with it. But in general, I think there are so many options. So you really don't have to uh, eat meat. And I think the more that you explore that and the the more you start to change your diet, you you sort of, uh, once you get out of the habit, I don't think you go back. Interesting, the uh, Department of Education of the City of New York, the acronym to me, uh, it means uh, dumbest organization ever, uh, has actually now put into effect in the cafeterias uh, a vegan lunch selection in addition to the normal fare, which was normal slop. <laughs> so I'm wondering if what their vegan food must be like. The next time we return, same time, same place, uh, next Saturday into Monday, if you can find out what the vegan lunches are like that are being offered to the children and young adults in the public school system in New York, largest in the nation, and uh, what reaction the kids have had to them. Because if it's just like the normal lunches, uh, there are kids who would rather impale themselves with the tray than eat the slop that the uh, cafeteria matrons provide for them. Maybe we can get like a, a, a mole, like a student, who can actually bring out the, the meal and, and we can actually see it ourselves. Yeah, good point, good point. Anyway, <laughs> if people want to have their questions answered all week long, if they need to get in touch with you because of animal-related issues, how can they get in touch with you, uh, Nancy? Oh, you can email me at uh, nancy at guardianangels.org. And, you know, I, I, I look through that every day, so... I can definitely get back to you right away. That's right. It's part of the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division that uh, Nancy is in charge of. And remember, this program, Animal Welfare, is exclusive to WABC. You're not going to hear anything like this anywhere in America. It used to be a fixture on weekend programming and talk radio, like so many other things, and went away. And we're just resurrecting it for a new day here at WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Ah, boy, I wrenched my back over the weekend trying to figure out why sabotage was underway on my many programs here. So far, so good tonight because I really laid down the law to Izzy, who was there before, uh, and Ryan. Uh, There were no problems with the phones that have dogged uh, my programs before. Uh, I wasn't on delay like I was put on delay purposefully by the board operator uh, in liberal versus conservative, me versus Chris Hahn earlier, three to five. Five minutes I was on delay. So remember, we had a few minutes to go. Who's the board operator now? Your guy. Your guy. Matt Blaze. He's good, actually. Let me tell you something. No one's more surprised than me. You saw Izzy, right? Izzy had an X-lax attack after I had a conversation with him. This will stop. But as a result of this weekend and all the agita, you know what happens. You get angry, right? You, you, you just want to put your f- – I can't say that because they will probably run to HR. Uh, rather, I ended up wrenching my back, and I took the Midwest uh, relief, pain relief that my father had raised me on. He was from Chicago where they all popped Don's pills. Uh, Don's pills are not addictive like Oxys, Percocet, Vicodins, so many others. And it'll help you temporarily, but I really got to get to Trinity Rehab because the back is bad. Now, it's not bad enough where I'm going to have to have an operation. I've been through this before. 
but it's bad. And I'm going three days to Florida because i got to raise money to pay off campaign debts from the mayoral campaign. Uh, and it, 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 there's no good treatment down in Florida. You don't go for treatment in Florida. You don't go to hospitals. You don't go to doctors there, chiropractors. Uh, you need to go to Trinity Rehab. And unfortunately, Trinity Rehab is not in Florida yet. Almost everybody else is fleeing to Florida, but not Trinity Rehab. And they're located throughout New Jersey in Clifton, Paramus, Wayne, Short Hills, Emerson, East Windsor, Shrewsbury, Wall Township, Woodbridge, and two brand-new locations in Hackensack and Whitehall. And the reason you want to go there is they use acoustic pressure wave technology that breaks up scar tissue with the EPAT machine. It's FDA-approved. That's that's exclusive to Trinity Rehab. And what it does is it breaks up your scar tissue, and it gets rid of pain. Now, rapido, it's effective for conditions like back or neck pain, tennis elbow, shoulder tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain. In just three five-minute sessions, you could be virtually pain-free. And you're not popping pills. Look, call Trinity Rehab for yourself, someone you know, someone you love, somebody who's in pain, 800-518-0977. That's 800-518-0977. Or go to trinity-rehab.com. That's trinity-rehab.com. 77 That was uh, repurposed exclusively for my part of the other side of midnight, 11 hours on the weekends. Professional Frank, uh, David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, hooked me up with this song. Whereas you're using some kind of garage band, junior high school band song, right? That's right, the Andy B version of our song, a song created by a listener. You have to admit, it's pretty low budget compared to this. You know what, Curtis? I am, unlike you, the elitist who hangs out with the, you know, at the suites and uh, all these corporate executives. I am the people's talk show host. I will happily accept bumper music from a listener that's custom made for our program rather than this Crosby, Stills, Nash I don't remember if this included Young. And if Young feel, hears about all the inaccurate things that you're saying on the radio, forget about it. He will prohibit his music from being played on your show. Chris. By the way, uh, Frank, I understand you are suffering from the same conditions uh, as the evil seed of Kim Jong mentally ill. See, I don't even know what you're about to say, but I know it's not true. It is true. Yeah, I can tell with the wind-up. I can see right away. Do you like cheese, fromage? I do. That is true. Do okay. you like wine? Th- that's true. Okay, so uh, pictures uh, of the evil one behind the kimchi curtain of North Korea mm. show that he has lost 40 pounds. And he was in an icy uh, situation where he was having to negotiate his way down these steps. And it was, an inter- it was interpreted that he was so um, precarious in terms of his movements because he has gout. And the gout of uh, the evil seed of Kim Jong mentally ill in North Korea is the result of him eating um, high fat cheeses, mozzarella, cheddar, swish, and not cottage cheese. So I'm really fearing that you will end up with gout because you have a fetish. 
for high-fat cheeses. Well, I also eat cottage cheese and, and low-fat regatta cheese as well. So I, I'm a lover of all cheeses. I, could I stand to do with less cheese? Absolutely, I'm sure I could. Did you ever fear that because... Um... I've never experienced gout. N- knock on wood. I mean, I hate to jinx myself, but never have. Do you know where the expression knock on wood came from? Yes, right? I do. Um, why do you say that since we have so many Jewish listeners? You're insulting them because you're... Knocking on the crucifix. Given the number of uh, racially derogatory terms that you and your callers put out on the airwaves Saturday night into Sunday morning, I'm not worried about my saying knock on wood offending anybody. Well, one thing I can assure you, neither I nor any of our callers um, have what Joe Rogan has going on now, the N-word syndrome. That's true. Can you believe that this guy, who was the most listened to podcast uh, podcaster, People had to have heard these N-bombs that he dropped on a regular basis. I mean, there were dozens of them. Well, again, that's dozens over the course of 12 years all strung together. I mean, you can imagine. It's not as if he routinely, every show, starts dropping the N-word here and there. These were strung together. White boys don't get away with that. How did he get away with it for years? I I think that uh, in some ways Joe Rogan... Because he built this podcast empire by himself. I know now he's with Spotify, but he built it on his own. In some ways, he's almost uncancelable, like some other people who are totally independent. Now, let's say Spotify says to Joe Rogan, you know, we're going to brush you off like, uh, like, like day old dandruff. He could go and launch his own podcast network and still be the most listened to podcaster now, there is. Frank, they tried to brush you off. They tried to cancel you on this, right. this very time a week ago when you announced to me the only time I've ever been uh, uh, bereft of uh, having any words to say. When you said to me that Bill de Blasio would come back and be a nightmare to all of us by running for the congressional seat of Nicole Maliotakis, I was stunned. And yet the next day you appeared with uh, John Katsimatidis on his 5 o'clock roundtable. You said it, people, uh, they made fun of you. You don't know what you're talking about. You must be on drugs. Lo and behold, you were right, and everybody else was wrong. Well, and I I was on with John, and then John, to his credit, you know, John always gives credit. He had Bernadette Hogan from the New York Post on within the same hour. And then he asked Bernadette Hogan, oh, Frank Moreno says this. Wouldn't you know it? Two days later, there's an article in the New York Post about this very subject, written by who? Bernadette Hogan. Does she give me any credit? Does she quote me in this article? No. It's as if they came up with it magically on their own. It's not this bank shot of Frank Moreno, John Katzmatidis, Bernadette Hogan. You see, they treated you like a person of no consequence, but you will get your revenge, Frank, no doubt. I, I mean, it's okay. You know, uh, the news anchors, and I think this is probably John's doing, the news anchors, when they were covering the story Wednesday and Thursday, they all cited me as having reported this story first, uh, so I appreciated that. I'd rather be known by the WABC audience than the New York Post audience as being ahead of the curve any day of the week. Frank, Frank, you, you're Italian. You have vengeance in your blood. Why not just say, <laughs> I will settle all scores. All the people who made fun of me, demeaned me, said I didn't know what he was talking about. I know who these people are, and they were right here at WABC, Frank. Yes, well, by the way, 
with the first hour of my program today yes. is dedicated to those people, the people that insulted me, demeaned me, brushed me off, and you, Curtis. In fact, you may want to call in. Well, that, we could, are, be a, that could be a full hour oh, alone well, of just well, my insults. Well, that's true. We are doing, uh, as a in part as a tribute to the great Bob Grant, and in part because we do this once a year, a Get At Frank hour. Now, I, I heard your show yeah. uh, on Saturday, and it, I mean, it was just ridiculous, but... You had chorus of caller after caller all criticizing me. One guy because I didn't I didn't uh, take his question about James K. Folk seriously. Another guy because I'm overweight, and then you claiming that I slurp soup, which is not even true. But whatever your issue with me is, you are going to be able to get at Frank next hour for an entire hour. Whatever your complaint about me is, now's the time and. Because I insulted him a few times, uh, rightly so in my view, on Friday, we are going to give the first get-at-Frank criticism to your telephone talent coordinator, Ryan. Oh, Ryan, who actually passed mustard tonight. I didn't throw him out the window along with Izzy. Uh, Notice, no sabotage since I threatened people. The first time that my programs over the weekend have not been sabotaged right. by staff here at WABC. I've said that to, to our staff on the overnight show, that I think my problem is that I'm too nice. Yes. i got to start being like you, just threatening people. You're so nice, you would give uh, diabetic insulin shock, uh, Frank Morano. But anyway, uh, what's your first uh, subject that you come Get at Frank for the hour. Oh, and wow. And then in the 2 o'clock hour, we got aliens and, Curtis, you are not going to believe what our government is doing to the 20th 9-11. Every day... We rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.